Hello and welcome to The Mariner, me Chris Stanmore Major and something a little bit different this time, we've actually got an interview. But of course it's not going to be quite that simple and we did have a few issues with the recording, it was a bit of a shonky setup and unfortunately one of the files was corrupted which was the file that was coming from my mic. So we've got the interview, it's two hours, something very different, this is going to be a very long dog walk isn't it? Um, but it's, you're going to hear that my part of the audio is kind of a little bit tinny and a bit in the background. That's because essentially I'm just, I tried to push up the recording from Ryan's mic, Ryan Barkey, my guest, and that uh, left my voice a bit tinny. But I thought it was more important to hear his voice. You know, you, you're sick of listening to me. Let's listen to what Ryan. So, yeah, my guest, Ryan Barkey, uh, presently, uh, he's involved with the Clipper race, but obviously the Clipper race uh, going around the world affected by COVID 19. They suspended racing and it's due to get going again um, in 2021. Ryan was one of the mates on board there, but uh, he's got a very interesting background. Uh, South Africa, Australia, driving uh, Whitbread boats, um, spearfishing, uh, a new Class 40 project that he's hoping to do on behalf of Canada and, uh, and a good time uh, chatting to him and finding out more about his, uh, his career and his life in sailing. So. Again, the beginning of something a little bit different and uh, an interview uh, we haven't had before. Apologies for the crappy audio on my side, but I think the main thing was that we could hear Ryan, find out his story, and um, yeah, let's jump right in and see what it's all about. So I guess the first thing that I found out was Melody said that you were doing the uh, Clipper race and that uh, she met you and you'd done training together. Um, if you're already in the Clipper race and already a mate, then I guess you're already tens of thousands of miles into all this stuff. Uh, where, where did it begin? When did you get onto the water? Um, so I guess that's a kind of a two-part question. I got on the water pretty much uh, as an infant, I guess. Uh, I was lucky enough to grow up uh, with a cottage up north, uh, Muskoka area. Um, so in northern Canada. Northern Canada, yeah. Northern Ontario, in fact, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I grew up on the water. Uh, but I was more involved with uh, the skiing and wakeboarding and barefooting and that kind of thing. That's what I grew up doing. Yeah. And it wasn't until later on that I actually got into the sailing. I did a little bit as a kid. Just uh, a couple of my buddies had uh, some smaller boats on different lakes and would go out with them the odd time. But uh, never really took hold until uh, later later on in my life. And it's all lakes around there. There's no access to the sea from there. No, I didn't no. see the sea for the first time. I think it was... 16, 16 or 17. Was there a big like orchestral swell? And, uh... That was that was <gasps> it, exactly. It <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember something swam right in front of me and it freaked me out. I was like, oh, jeez. Don't, <laughs> don't get that in there. <laughs> and so what was it about, like obviously a lot of people grow up doing dinghy stuff. I did as well. And then something like changes. I guess you and I are the same. Like I really didn't go sailing uh, on the ocean until I was like 18 really mm. I had this kind of moment where I was like wow this is this is cool what was it that drew you to it this isn't too bad um so uh long story short it was kind of a a girl that uh, pulled me to it oh, funny enough <laughs> um but through an extension of uh, a guy that uh, I met uh, at west when I was doing um my gap year ski season mm. at west and um he was uh, getting into the yachting industry and um she was going back home to uh, South Africa, so I kind of uh, followed her home with the idea ah. that he gave me that uh, I could make a living uh, on these uh, on these boats. And so this is how you actually got so mixed up. So then to South Africa at what, like 18, 19? How old were you at that point? I was. Um, so I pretty much just turned 20, just before turning 20, I sure, headed to sure. uh, South Africa. 
That's a pretty big change, hey, from Ontario to South Africa. Whereabouts in South Africa were you? Uh, Cape Town. Yeah. Uh, I, was, yeah, I was there for just under three years, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And uh, there, there is quite a lot to say. I've sailed in and out of Cape Town quite a few times. There's a lot going on there, but it's it's a very different country to, to Canada. It's a very different <laughs> part Definitely. of the world from being up at the cottage. Definitely a culture shock, yeah. For, yeah. Uh, yeah. First time, first time going. I remember flying in um, over Cape Town, and you fly over Kailicha there, which is kind of like the tin hut community yeah. of million something strong. And uh, wow, yeah. it was just in the times of the uh, the burnings, so they do their burn lines uh, in and around the city. Mm. So I fly over and I see this giant community of tin huts, and everything's on fire. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what am I? What am I flying into here? <laughs> I'll just stay on the plane when yeah. it goes back to Canada. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> But then three years, so it was, she was quite the girl, or the country was quite the country, or something was going on there. A uh, little, little bit of a uh, little bubble, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, to, to this day, it's still one of my uh, my favorite cities uh, yeah. in the world. Beautiful, beautiful, amazing people. Um, and yeah, as you said, the sailings are not half bad. They're a great place to learn, um, especially ocean ocean sailing. It's uh, yeah. the ocean can bite you there if you're not uh, oh, paying attention. Right? And, and, uh, and literally, like, yeah, yeah, they do those experiences <laughs> of going in the great white like shark cages or something yeah yeah, yeah. you the, can like hear people screaming underwater yeah um actually my uh, ex-missus she went and did that and she was supposed to go the one day and it was postponed but the day it was postponed was because one of the sharks had gotten into the cage like the, oh, the day wow. before wow. um so that's a big no-no yeah. <laughs> shark must stay out yeah. of cage. <laughs> so uh what were you doing in uh what were you doing in south africa then obviously not just pining and, and wooing you were um, yeah, so I was doing my, my yacht masters there uh, and that was what, uh, originally brought me there. Yeah. So, um, I did, uh, three months kind of, uh, course there doing, doing that. Yeah. Um, I actually did my, uh, was it my ocean master? Oh no, I did my NCA qualifications in Durban. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just, uh, like sort of down the road from you. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's actually where the, uh, the ex-missus was from. Was Durban, ah, okay, so I did yeah. quite a bit back and forth up the, up the coast there. What sort of changes has she seen in that country, uh, a lot has changed in Durban that I know of from when I was there. It was yeah. pretty touch and go. Well, t- to be fair, she lives in um, KZN, like a tiny uh, kind of farm farm community. So right. it's a bit out of the reach of kind of the mass yeah. city um, kind of lifestyle. And it's yeah. a very uh, quaint, beautiful, beautiful area. I absolutely yeah. love the, the farm farm there. And it's a beautiful place. So it's, it's pretty much the same from, well, from what I've seen it over the last 10 years, kind of. Um, sure. And I would say that she probably say it hasn't changed too much uh, from her growing up so i remember going in there and uh, the guys at the uh, youth hostel they showed me like a photo photocopy uh, map of the town they're like mm. uh, yeah don't go here oh, don't yeah, go yeah. there <laughs> yeah. don't be on the street after 6 p.m don't wear headphones don't wear a watch just like jeepers like this uh yeah it's a different kind of place right it's in a flux i would say that country at the moment yeah and it's well i guess you could make the arguments like any kind of major city cape town was the same there's just kind of places you don't yeah go and yeah but there's just... big areas yeah um but yeah you, it's a good place to pick up some street smarts like uh Oh, I yeah. was. I never got robbed or anything like that yeah. when I was down there. I think somebody took my twelve dollar Nokia phone, my little burner phone that I had, yeah. um, and that was about it. I, I think he was complimenting my shoes outside of a club or something, and <laughs> <laughs> took, your phone. took my twelve dollar phone. I was like, sure. "Go ahead, take it." But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I remember um, when I was there, the film. Blood, I think I was telling you this the other day. The, the film Blood Diamond had yeah, just yeah. come out. And uh, it, it was longer than we expected. And when we got to the end of it, uh, there were no taxis or anything to get us back to where we were staying. And we ended up walking through pitch black streets back to the 
uh, to the youth hostel. And I don't, I don't think I've been more afraid of other human beings ever in my life. Although nothing happened, and it was completely fine. And yeah, yeah. No, it's. Um, I think it is a bit mental, mental game. If especially well after three years, like I didn't notice yeah. any difference at all, and yeah. I always felt very very safe. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we did have some some occasions like i remember my our roommate at the time he had his car stolen out of the the driveway because mm. he had mm. forgotten his uh debit card so he ran home to uh to grab it and he left his keys in the ignition in the oh, car running and the mean. three seconds that it took Jesus. for him to run and is it inside. right now they they sell cars that have like uh high anti-hijacking systems in them i'm i'm sure they do yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> I saw one which was like it had a row of jets down either side that sprayed fuel out and then it ignited them. <laughs> okay. It's like you're doing a Mad Max <laughs> Robocop. But, mm. um, but then the, the sailing there, then you were doing your Yacht Master, you went and did like a multi-week course or you were slowly chewing through it or how did you do it? Um, so I did kind of the zero to hero approach. So I started with uh, the, the whole competent crew and the day skippers and moving up and then you yeah. do mileage builders throughout yeah. and then it was kind of just a course of getting yourself kind of involved in the in the area there and the school that I was with was great for kind of hooking you up with bits of jobs here and there that yeah. got you more and more experience um and then uh, yeah the STCW all that stuff that's uh, incorporated with with that so that was about a four four month process I think of going through that and then all I right. got my what do you think about that now the zero to hero things I think I remember when that came in it was like 2007 or 8 it was just mm. kind of starting getting going and uh I think there was a lot of confusion in the industry, like how you could express forward, but did they do a good job with you guys? Yeah, um, they did. And I think it's all in contrast to what, you know, what you're about to go take your ticket and go use it for. Yeah. Like I kind of just, that was my entry in and the whole premise was the more tickets you have, you know, the more eligible you look to a future, future employer. Sure. But it's not like I was, you know, getting ready to go drive a hundred foot, you know, yeah. Well, some people out. are, right? I remember working for a guy, I was the mate, and I had, I don't know, like 20,000 miles and all sorts of things, mm. and he had like 4,000 miles, and he was the captain of this 105-foot stink pot with 5,000 horsepower, you're like, this yeah. does not seem right, <laughs> this shouldn't that's be allowed. Bit, yeah, exactly, and that's, and that's kind of where I think it goes a bit awry, but yeah. um, I think for the most part, if you're good at your job and experienced enough, then you'll, sure. you'll keep it. And if, you know, you've got the tickets, but no know-how, then uh, yeah. you get yourself worked out pretty good. I remember well. he, was, uh, <laughs> he was awesome at um, all of the connecting all the electronics and the, the media gear, and this, because that that had been his previous industry. Mm. Like, a year before, he was uh, IT tech, you know? Yeah, okay, And then yeah. suddenly he's driving the boat. But we did a lot of fiberglass repair. Yeah, okay, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> Bumps and grinds of various descriptions. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, but yeah, that was never my kind of intention. It was just, uh, this was a way into it. And yeah. I, well, I wanted to see kind of how, what sailing was to, to me. And then as soon as I got out there on the ocean and started sailing on a little, uh, L34, then I was, I was hooked and I, yeah. and I loved it. Um, it's a bit of a funny industry like that. It's like, it's, it's hard to know how to move up and exactly what the structure is. Cause there's, there's commercial no... stuff, there's the big yacht stuff, there's the leisure stuff that like in Canada, there's no way of like commercially getting up. Well, that's it. And there's no, there's nothing written about, you know, what path or how, or even how to progress through or anything like that. So I always... Yeah. My intention of going through was, so my buddy that I'd mentioned earlier who kind of mentioned it to me was the, the whole super yachting side of things. Yeah. Because um, he went, 
he basically went and did that, and I went and worked in the in the mines in in northern Canada for for a year, and that's how I actually ended up. You went and worked in mines. I did, I did, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's how I funded myself to get my uh, oh, master's wow. tickets. Yeah. What 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 kind of mine was it? It was the oh the oil sands technically. Oh, okay, so right, in, um, right. Yeah, um, and I worked in a little uh, mechanic tent, literally a tent, just a canvas wow. tent that was on uh, on site, and we were responsible for transports from site to to camp. Um, that's like literally diametrically opposite what you well exactly <laughs> yeah um, and that's and that's what kind of pushed me in that direction it was like oh and I did that for years so I was like yeah. I know this is not what I want to do the whole lifestyle that's incorporated living two weeks on two weeks off and yeah. pretty much a hellhole um, and then so yeah talking to my buddy and he's off living the luxury life on super yachts in the Caribbean mm-hmm. whatever and you know I got this lovely lady in South Africa there. So I'm like, Hmm, <laughs> Let me tough, see. tough decision here. Um, so, uh, so yeah, and that, so that was kind of the, the pretenses to me wanting to get into it was to go and do the whole super yachting thing. Yeah. And then I actually started sailing. I was like, wow, this is yeah. way better than polishing uh, stainless and this and that. Um, so yeah. Kind of, a lot of people kind of like fall down the well on that one, don't they? They kind of, they, they want to go sailing. And then the only structure which seems to weigh again up is STCWs and Yachtmaster. But like for the super yachts, the Yachtmaster qualification is literally a deckhand qualification. Well, and that's it. And that's kind of the foothold that the kind of industry is put now where it's like the only way to get into the, into a boat or any kind of job whatsoever is if you have your Yachtmaster and like, high-end yacht master not even your entry-level yacht master like an oceans now is like a pretty standard deckhand yeah certificate yeah absolutely. when you think about it yeah in terms of what that ticket can actually do for you yeah it's pretty crazy that that's the requirement to polish uh polish that, that was one of the ideas we had with spawn was to start something called the mariner course that's kind of where the the, the podcast is called the mariner but it actually came like across my bows we were going to do a course called the mariner course which was a month long and you had to be an ocean master just to get in the door yeah. it um like all the other stuff because i think what i see when people are out in the industry like the big blocks like uh do nots yeah i know that one yeah. do uh basic engines on a diesel engine that they i can do that one but then like all the stuff in between like how to finagle this and how to wiggle your way in there and how to do the other thing like those bits the mortar that holds it together that identifies someone's really good in the industry those things that come from experience where, where do you learn that like well, that's it exactly. Tens of thousands of miles, or working with other people, you can end up on a boat where it's a very flat kind of experience. The the captain might be an ocean master, uh, but with four or five thousand actual miles as an ocean master, and then everybody else is a yacht master, and they don't know anything. And like, how how do we all go up together here? Yeah, and that brings us <clears throat> back to your buddy there, who's a yeah captain with uh, yeah no idea, and that's uh, yeah, and yeah. that's unfortunately you know yeah sometimes they they work their way and they end up stressed because they're mm-hmm. they're you know I think one of the things for me is I've got uh, done more and more sailing um, I find myself more and more relaxed and I'm able to interact with people better and then I get much better results. In, in each scenario even if it's stressful even if things are going wrong i can keep my head i can make sure people are like eating sugar and drinking water and all those kind of things that they have to do as well and then you find it's a much better place to live if the person who's in charge has got barely little idea more than the people that are you know running around with their heads cut off oh, yeah. then it's just very stressful and it's a downward spiral yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so I, I guess that leads into have you have you had any uh the people always ask me this when I say, like, have you had any incidents? Like, if you had another industry, like, driving instructor, like, have you ever crashed? Like, it'd be a very <laughs> odd thing, but you always seem to want to know that in sailing industry. Like, but you came in, like, 
full bore, you didn't have like decades to like get up to point. How quickly were you a captain? How quickly were you a watch leader? Um, so, so I started out, so after the whole kind of South African learning, um, um, course aspect of things, yeah. then, um, I started trying to get into the deliveries was kind of the, the first one. And that was one thing that the school actually helped me kind of get moving on was yeah. putting me in touch with other skippers that were around Cape Town. And they were doing deliveries kind of up the coast or across to Brazil, what have you. And there's a lot of boats go up to the Caribbean from South Africa. And right? a lot of Wild boats, cat, exactly. Cat yep. are there. Yeah. And leopard cats leopard come out of there right, and that's yeah. a big seller. So they're con constantly <laughs> up the door through there. So yeah. a lot, a lot of deliveries. So that was kind of like, ooh, okay, here we go. Now I can do big ocean sailing, which sure. was really appealing to me. Um, so yeah, that was kind of, so my first delivery was, um, so actually returning a boat from the Cape to Rio race. Oh yeah. Um. So flew over to Brazil and then wow. uh, and then brought it back. Oh, cool. What kind of boat was it? Uh, it was an Alan Forty Four. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So are you going? The Saint Helena High goes anti-clockwise. So you're kind of rolling around the Saint Helena High there. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um. And um. Yeah. So that was a <laughs> that was a pretty. That's a big awakening. Well, exactly. Yeah. Mine. Coastal <laughs> stuff in Cape Town. Yeah, then I'd pretty much the Southern Atlantic. I'd been back and forth between, um, what was, jeez, what's the uh, little harbor there now, and Head Bay, um, yeah. and Longabon, and that was kind of my extent of my that's long. That's just around the corner. And that's right? just around the corner, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cape Point, actually, sorry, yeah. I went around, around Cape Point. Um, but other than that, you know, I hadn't been out in any blue water sailing before. Again, that's where sailing's weird, because you could end up, it, the equivalent would be, uh, I've just driven on this island, mm. and then I want to drive across Canada. It's, it's, it's such a different thing when you suddenly set off on a big, yeah, with, big voyage with much higher um circumstances and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah like, i can remember the, the first time i crossed an ocean as a as a skipper as a sole person on board who knew what was going on was when i did the clipper racing mm. went from um la rochelle to uh brazil where mm. where's we going brazil i forget now what's the big port uh, Mountain. jesus doing the big fish was this big um Rio. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's that's where <laughs> that's where we left actually. <laughs> We've all been there, we just can't yeah. remember it. Yeah. Um and, and that was uh I think I was very stressed doing that. Like if I look mm. back, my crew at the end of it, like they had some feedback for me, which at the time I was 30, 31, something like that. Yeah. And I thought that being a race skipper involved just loads of shouting and being really like hard on people, and it's really not. And yeah. uh it's uh they, they had feedback to give me at the end of that. What what was your what was your role on that first voyage? Um, oh, um, the one from, from yeah. so I was kind of just a, uh, deckhand okay. coming across, okay. um, but I was actually promoted to the first mate after the first, uh, five days or six days oh, wow. on, the, okay. on the boat. So yeah. that was pretty cool. And the captain kind of took a backseat approach to the, um, the whole delivery yeah. and kind of just let us make within, you know, safe scope of sure. make some mistakes, but, um, let us figure it out. Oh, so that was pretty cool. cool. So I was kind of already yeah. just kind of thrown into a leadership role on my first, yeah. my first go. Um, and it was with uh, two other young guys as well. Um, so it was kind of, I remember we'd sit down every day and I'd be like, okay, you know, <laughs> what went well today and what went not so well today. Yeah, yeah. And the majority of that conversation was what didn't go so well today. <laughs> kind of my, my first experiences of being C, I was, I was like, uh, the lowest of the low crew member. Yeah. So, um, I literally, I think one of the things I fell in love with with sailing from the beginning was, I didn't know what time it was. Mm. It's just whether it was light or dark. I didn't know where we were at all. And I had no concept of like what was going on. I was yeah. just, <laughs> someone wakes you up, you go and do three or four hours work, mm. whatever it was. 
and then you go back to sleep again. But, yeah. but it sounds like your first go out, you're already straight into being a responsible person in the crew. Yeah, and yeah. I have, I don't know if that's just something that I kind of project or something I've put on myself, but I always kind of prefer to be in a kind of high tense, high responsibility yeah. kind of role, and it yeah. pushes me forward. I don't, uh, I don't, well, I don't progress as much if I'm kind of just sitting, sitting sure. back. Sure. Um, so I need to be kind of have that added pressure. I guess the on industry's me. like changed a lot like that. If it, you know, the industry, what are we talking about? We're talking about the industry now, like uh, some super yachts, some recreational boaters, some uh, racers, like, hmm. but the, the, I can't say industry, but sailing, if you go back like a hundred, hundred years, 120 years, something like that, you're talking about people that are doing it for their work. You would come hmm. up as an apprentice. You'd probably come up through your teens. You'd be just nobody on board for Ten years, no, and then it, you yeah. suddenly like come up. So it does put a lot more stress and strain on the people like yourself that are coming up that are have got to um, suddenly dial into all the stuff really fast. You're doing navigation, you're doing repairs, you're doing you know meteorology, you're mm. doing all this stuff like right off the bat. You don't get the, the cushy ride that I got of just being <laughs> like, yeah, no worries. What do you want? Okay, I'm going to bed now. <laughs> and talking about meteorology, that's that's your interest, isn't it? I know that you're studying that at the moment um well yeah it is so as as you kind of progress forward in this it's uh, for me i think anyways it's best to have kind of an edge something that uh, yeah, oh, gets sure. you to stand i stand always out. tell people that in sailing like do the sa everyone can do sailing that's easy but what else do you got exactly yeah so um and in this last clipper race that was kind of one thing that kind of just came came out in me yeah. was my like i actually really enjoyed doing the navigation yeah and um i would like to think that it wasn't uh, too too half bad at it um well obviously we'd have to review your results and we have to speak to the crew and you know there's a whole documentary you made about I'm, that but I'm, what, what results did i'm you confident get? with that um so we were we were third uh, oh, sure. on, on the podium um overall yeah when well since the race was postponed yeah, um, yeah. uh but yeah so we were doing pretty pretty good um and then yeah after that after this whole COVID thing, what was one thing I was like, okay, I've got well, yeah, this time. Talk about that. That's that's uh, so that's that's the situation you're in at the moment. Like we have to spool forward in your career, but you're a mate on the on the Clipper race. Which which boat are you on? Uh, so we were on Punta del Este. Yeah, um, oh, great town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, first major. Actually, sorry, uh, Portimao in uh, mm -hmm. Portugal was the first stop. Um, but the uh, first leg was uh, yeah Punta del Este. And wow, you did Portugal to Uruguay in a leg. Yeah. Holy macaroni! <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a long. That was, How uh, many days was that? That was, don't quote me on this, but 29? Oh, that's not, that's not or awful. 30. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe it was 30. I can remember going to Rio and uh, there's like a corner you have to go around. I forget what it's called now. Cabo Frio. I think yes. Is yes. that right? Yep. Yeah. That is right. Yep. I got all these things on my head. Um, but we just all becomped. Like, they <laughs> added three or four days to the voyage. You all just sit in there. Wow. And the end, Clipper said, look, just call it. Let's go. It's funny know? you say that because, like, as we were coming in for the final approach, um, you can you can find it on YouTube. It's like probably one of the biggest clipper um, clips they put out. But we had a massive storm that ended up tearing our uh, code three into about a million uh, million pieces. Really? Um, so yeah, definitely not <laughs> definitely not a calm on the uh, oh on wow. the approach. Okay, well it, obviously it, it all equals out over time. Yeah, <laughs> I was we could have fished. I uh, I don't know if it was that exact spot, but I do remember on that leg that we. Um, we would be calm for like twenty four hours. We had a disc on board. Somebody had brought a disco. Oh. I'd like to say like. <laughs> Um, the Clipper race is a race. Like if you're in it and you're racing, it is a race. Like I have the utmost respect for the Clipper race. I really enjoy doing it. And I think if you're in it, you know how much effort people are putting in. Mm. But when it stops, you know, it is a group of 
20 people it's like twice as many people on a volvo boat yeah you're not just going to sit there and do technical things like the fun breaks out you know mm. and when you've been becalmed for 18 hours somebody had this tiny little disco ball so we would put the music on and we'd bounce around but literally i think we uh we ripped up the almanac like the british uh english channel yeah. almanac and we had a um paper plane throwing competition and like an hour later they called me back because we were drifting back past the, the planes which <laughs> yeah. were in the water like there was nothing but um yeah wow so so i guess we're trying to go back to the chronology of what you were talking about so your first experience coming across from um brazil then yeah sorry. that was so did it did it go well was it good um, um it was it was a great trip um and again anchored some you know things that'll stay with me for forever now um like we sailed through a pod of dolphins that must have been like three to four hundred strong in the, <laughs> in the middle of the ocean and i thought it was a wow i thought it was a breaking reef that was just in the middle of the ocean because that's how oh, bubbly yeah. the water was on the surface and we're getting closer and closer and closer and all of a sudden yeah. it's just hundreds and hundreds of dolphins i've once seen that off the western approach in the uk it's just amazing unbelievable yeah so yeah. so something like that and then how uh, long were they with you um well, I was actually pretty cautious. I was like, "What? What are we coming up to here?" Yeah, so I kind of yeah, right. like outskirted it a <laughs> little bit. Says no, but I say yes. <laughs> yeah. um, and then when I realized what it was, I was like, "Oh, okay, Larry, let's get closer." Um, yeah. And then we kind of just kind of like not uh, inhabiting them or anything like that, but kind of just drifted along the the sure. edge of them there. Um, they can get out of the way. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, could so, you hear them through the hull? Uh, well, I was I was up on deck, but they were going oh, nuts. You could hear them. You could hear them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really become like. I gotta say, there was a part of my life where I became like, it was cool to be jaded. Like, yeah, I've seen dolphins. I'm not going on dolphins. <laughs> yeah. Like, what the hell? And then you realize you end up like this kind of emotional cul-de-sac of like, um, you 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 box yourself into a corner. Like, that's the character you're you're purveying to everybody. And um, then you can't go and see cool stuff because yeah. you've got to play this role. So I was like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm gonna get excited. And then I started to realize. I think it was when I was on my own on a boat, like. Um, on the open 60s where it's carbon fiber mm. you can hear them through the heart oh yeah yeah and well, if you start well, whistling yeah. the, the, the amount of acoustic they're putting out increase i'm not saying you, i think there's a, a clip of me somewhere going i'm talking to dolphins <laughs> so, but, but that's how it felt like it's mm. uh the, yeah 300 and that's oh yeah it was whenever i see them i just like my instant gut reaction is they're having fun like they're playing mm. in the bow of the boat like they kind of know what's going on they know that you're a, i think they kind of like know that you're intelligent you're yeah. not just like the bow of a ship that they're chasing yeah, next yeah. to. yeah wow okay so that's the high point what was the low point <laughs> um we want the gritty stories man low point okay yeah so the low point was we were about um a week um since we left um just kind of getting into the rhythm of things um and i would say that this was a low budget kind of delivery uh it was kind of like <laughs> a lump sum to do the job sure and then whatever you kind of walk away with is what you walk away with <laughs> yeah so let's say food rations were minimalistic at uh at best it was probably like a yeah. half a cup of peanuts for lunch um, oh wow some cereal for breakfast like inside the first week it was already like that pretty much the whole way, Whoa, whole way across i think that's I, a choice i think i lost 10 kilos i think Wow. Doing the, doing, doing the <laughs> I can't lose that much saying so around the world. Yeah. So just FYI, don't do that again. That no, was very, uh, yeah. very minimalistic. I remember there was like a few sweets that were just left in the fridge. Yeah. And they were like the most holy thing on the boat. Like we'd, wow, yeah. we'd ration them out like you'd get one sweet every four days or something like yeah. that as we as we went across. Yeah. Omar Rusks, like a big uh, delicacy for <laughs> South Africa, was like 
the greatest thing <laughs> and we ran through them in like the first week and we're like okay that was a mistake let's not do that <laughs> with the rest of our stuff i think that's um, one of the only times we had to like literally i'm not sure if we actually stopped our clever boat but we definitely like metaphorically stopped it where we had um we bought rations obviously we've done a victualing in uh, in, in brazil then sell to cape town and then a, a set of people had gone to buy new food who were not on the boat from brazil when we came out in Brazil, there was two sorts of chocolate on board. There was like the chocolate was edible, and there was this like other chocolate, which was like that awful uh, Christmas chocolate from the nineteen seventies. <laughs> it was like the worst ever. But the people that were coming on board in Cape Town didn't know about this situation, so they just looked in the oh, there's loads of chocolate. Well, we don't need to buy that much chocolate. We set off from Cape Town to Western Australia and discovered like that virtually the only chocolates <laughs> on board the stuff that we didn't eat on the last leg like it was mutiny man like, food becomes so important is, so fast hey? that is a key one chocolate yeah and, and Harry Bell those are two I, major food groups <laughs> I'm always a, <laughs> yeah, Harry Bell and, and coffee chocolate. and coffee anybody knows me yeah, and coffee it's it's one of those things that people like um I know we have to be careful with nutrition. I'm, I'm getting much, much better at that, but you're burning calories like round the clock and you need to have like cheap calories you can stuff in your mouth and feel good and keep awake and all the rest of it. And people go to the supermarket with these like holier than thou attitudes <laughs> to things like, no, no, we won't need peanut butter. I'm like, oh yes, yeah. you will. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds tough. So already a week, I remember doing a trip from um, China to uh, the Philippines, and I seem to remember that the only food that was on board was uh, KFC. Within the first <laughs> night, I had identified that the money I had put out f- for food had actually been spent on KFC. It's <laughs> like, so, oh no, this is very long five days. <laughs> um, but that must have been, it must have kind of been that bad because you continued on. What was the next bit for you then? You got to, you got to Cape Town, you survived. We, we, we did, yeah. Well, to be honest, it was like a whole thing. Um, so even even getting there was an issue. Like I ended up in uh, the Brazilian uh, airport, like jail, because I didn't have the right visa getting in. So that was a good start to oh, the really? whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they were going to deport me back to Dubai, um, and I had like zero money at the time. I'm like, you said, oh, you fly because I flew. I flown uh, <laughs> through Dubai from Cape Town, um, and I had a letter from the captain and everything saying, uh, "Coming as crew, da 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 da." And everybody there was else was South African, and I they feel didn't that need like a sliding doors alternate reality version of you that did get sent to Dubai, but then like the story really <laughs> twisted, and he did really well, and now he's in the man. He's got his own yacht. <laughs> have you ever considered that? I have not considered that. No. <laughs> you could be like the bone dealer in this. I'm just saying. You know? <laughs> yeah, visas. Like I had that recently, as you know. I, I went down to the US with a visa situation that's mm. unchanged in the last year. And uh, having got in in June, they were like, mm. no. So I drove 600 kilometers to get there and 600 back in a day, which yeah, wasn't great. Not ideal. But that doesn't compare to like flying to another country. Well, yeah, that's it. And I like being a Canadian, like we're pretty lucky. We never have many visa issues at all. And Everyone loves Canadians. Well, exactly, that's the best yeah. thing of being here. It's like, I know now why all of, when I was young and all those backpackers had Canadian flags on the back of their backpacks. Yeah, it's like, they get exactly. free stuff left, right and center. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, so then everyone I was going with is South African and they're notoriously bad for their visas and countries not wanting to come in unless they've, you know, planned ahead six months to get whatever yeah. their Schengen visa, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and they didn't need visas. So I'm like, oh, okay, if the Green Mambas can get in with, with no <laughs> issues, then of course the Canadian can get in. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I never made that mistake ever again. No. Um, How did it rectify? Did they just like... 
<laughs> Smile at you like you're an idiot. <laughs> they 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 basically stuck me in a room for like I think it was like seven hours or something. As oh, I was wow, trying serious. to yeah. figure out what they were going to do with me. Yeah, and then I ended up speaking to one of the the clerks at uh, one of the check-in desks because my phone was dead or not working. I can't remember, so I couldn't actually contact anybody. So I was literally just there alone. Wow, completely. old school man. That's like crazy thousand. <laughs> old school. Um, and I ended up just talking to the guy. I'm like, man. Is it possible to get on to your computer and like just let me send out a few messages? Um, and so I did that and basically what ended up happening was they allowed me to go down to Argentina for the day, get a Brazilian 24-hour visa, oh, wow. come back, and then that's how I eventually kind of got in. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, so it was pretty cool and they didn't kick so you me out. you a free and... trip to Argentina? Not free, no. <laughs> well, no I, yeah, 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 very good point. Yeah, all right. Unexpected trip. Unexpected, yeah. Um, did you get out of the airport? <laughs> I did. I had to spend a. I had to spend twenty four hours there. I think was the yeah the what the minimum requirement. I remember having to do that was. when I was in Hong Kong. I had to keep going to Japan to get visas. Yeah. yeah. Um. So that so that was how the whole thing started, and then Brazil was fun when we were there. Um. And then yeah. So then leaving. Uh. And then yeah. So Etsy now the worst. So pretty much a week out. Um. We got into our first big storm my first like real big kind of yeah. storm out, uh, out on the open ocean and it wasn't anything to uh you know call home about now it's i think it was maybe 40 knots gusting 50 50 well, knots like that that's the critical i was people say like what's it like to be in 70 knots like it's like 45 knots but louder yeah it's like <laughs> yeah. by 45 <laughs> knots it's getting bad like it's a very serious situation like unless yeah. you're in a big boat so yeah. everything after 45 knots is like that but louder <laughs> yeah exactly yeah you um, can't think anymore about the danger and um so i don't know exactly when it happened but i was at the i was at the wheel um and there was lightning all oh. around us Ooh. and i don't think we <clears throat> necessarily got hit directly with lightning but lightning hit close enough that uh, we had a bit of an emp effect and fried all of our uh, electronics Ooh. um and it was like, lots of people now listening going you should have turned off your electronics and yeah <laughs> i don't know what's your take on it now with a bit more experience what do you do in lightning storms uh now if i've got uh, lightning storms then i'll switch everything off yeah yeah and i'll just steer off the the compass which yeah. in the end was what we ended up uh yeah doing <laughs> yeah. again learn yeah, uh, learn the hard way <laughs> learning the hard way um which is a good way to learn because you never make the same mistake uh, again i think the thing i've become aware of with that as well is that um uh if you can, if you have an autopilot, go below because the, the boat, because it's wet, because mm. the storm can act as a bit of a Faraday cage and um, make sure the engine's off because it creates a huge amount of uh, static electricity. Whether things are, the breakers are flipped or not, like mm. I always work on the basis, if it can jump from like the sky to mm. the ocean, it can probably go across half a mil on, yeah. a, on a breaker. Uh, but it makes you feel good. So. Well, exactly. It's a mental thing. And I've, well, yeah. I've done my part to, you know, do what I can to make sure I get through this without frying all yeah. this stuff. But um, yeah. the other thing I started doing though is I always make sure that I'm clipped to the boat because I've uh, read a lot of accounts of um, people having like involuntary spasms in their leg muscles and then literally really? jumping off the boat. Yeah, where, huh? because the deck becomes electrified with the water on the deck. Yeah, yeah. So you have to make sure you tether in if you can that way. Gotcha. And then if you have to stay on deck, if there's no autopilot, then like sit on a... Uh, inflated life jacket or a foam life jacket or something like mm. folded up something so you just get insulated from the yeah, deck. Yeah. But uh, I've been on a couple of boats that have been hit by lightning and it's it's no joke. It's yeah. uh, it, I think it's very shock. It's shocking <laughs> to pun the pun. It's shocking, but it's um there's something very kind of like feral and base about you. It understands like this is dangerous. Yeah. Like, the hackles are up on the back of your neck. There's some part of you like this is bad. We should yeah. get in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. 
So yeah, um, so we had the we had the storm, and I was I was at the wheel, and I was steering to steering to an electric compass, like a digital compass readout. Yeah. Um, and it didn't go black; it just kind of screwed with the kind of orientation oh, of it. Yeah. So it was it was pitch pitch black. The only light that was was coming from the the lightning that was surrounding us. Mm. Um, and I remember the bimini was starting to to tear off uh so it's blowing 40 45 knots lightning all around nighttime nighttime yeah compass is going off biminis well and the, so the compass back. the compass was just going left to right so i'm there i'm like trying to get the guys to do to try and get the, the bimini yeah. down and, yeah. and get it taken down below so it doesn't uh, blow off and rip and this and that um and then i'm trying to steer at the same time but you know i'm like and you know when it gets real dark, you kind of get disoriented oh, from sure. your natural movement sure. of the of the boat. So I'm steering, and I'm very very new to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a skill set driving a knife. Oh, it is 100. percent You start 100%. getting compass blind really fast. Like and, uh, even and, if you're a very experienced, after like a couple of hours, you yeah. don't know which way. And that is that's 100 percent experience. Nothing yeah. can prepare you for that other than yeah. just time on the water. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm trying to steer this compass that's just making up numbers. <laughs> well, I'll tell these guys, they're like, hey, try, you know, get it down, get it down. <laughs> the waves are getting bigger now. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm just like, tacking, tacking. What the fuck's going on here? <laughs> Did you have the Eye of the Tiger music like blaring in the background? Yeah. I always have that when that starts to happen. I have, the Indiana Jones I have adopted that from, from now on when stuff starts to go real awry and it's just like one or two of us on deck, then I get the biggest pump up music I can find and yeah. then it just gets me <laughs> yeah, exactly. up ready to go exactly um but uh no not at, not at this time <laughs> um but yeah so that was kind of our um our kind of baptism of fire if you will yeah sure. um but and yeah you the, came out the other side of that like i want to do more of this we did yeah but that yeah. wasn't even the, the the worst part of it the worst part was like oh. auto, the autopilot went all the electronics went so we didn't have our chart plot or anything so Eeks. i had just come off my uh my studies, as I said, so I'm like, oh wow, now I actually get to do my my EPs and my dead reckonings. And <laughs> <laughs> um, so luckily, we had a little handheld GPS that was a uh, battery run, mm. um, and we turned it on. We only had, I think, two batteries, so that was it, um, and that was our only thing that was giving us our position. How, at all. how, how far into this journey? We still had from... we still had two weeks left. It took us twenty it took us twenty five days, and I think we were on day seven. Um, wow. Okay. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. every day. We uh, and we bought non-alcoholic beer by accident. Um, we thought we'd bought but, yeah. <laughs> we thought we'd bought normal beer, <laughs> and the plan was to have like a beer a day kind of thing um, yeah. at sundown. So our, our, we didn't realize until halfway in because it was all in uh, Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody one day was like, "Why does it say zero point zero on this?" And we're like, "Oh my god, it's not yeah. <laughs> So why are we so messed up the last couple of days? <laughs> uh, but anyways, that was a tradition we'd have. Um, our little sweet every four days and our non-alcoholic beer. And then yeah. we turn on our GPS uh, and we'd quickly write down the, the coordinates and then we'd see on the chart, you know, how far off we were of our uh, yeah, it's EP. Like even a uh, high school level geography, you know, there's nothing to like crash into. Basically. Well, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, there's nothing, nothing yeah. to worry Did about. Did you have paper charts with these? Yeah, we had paper charts. So we had everything yeah. that was required in terms yeah. of, in terms of that. Um, What's your take on that? Because, <clears throat> you know, um, people always, uh, there's a there's a, a discussion like you know is the ocean master relevant now with um doing astronav and what have you i know people listening to this it'll like be a division right down the the, the middle it's something like oh you must have it but i want to talk about like the, the really super pragmatic you're in that situation you're at sea everything's gone off like where well, does your mind go to at that point and that's it it's like you know you may never use it but the one time that you need mm -hmm. to use it is the time that you'd need to know it. So it's sure, sure you know, 99% of the time, you know, you might not 
have to have to know it until you can lean on technology nowadays <laughs> with uh, with all of that um but yeah when an example like this arises and you know you've got no other choice you're in the middle of the ocean did you have any any, any of the instruments on any of the required equipment on board to do astronaut um no so we, so we didn't do any any astronaut it was no. all just um yeah just doing that so i think that's my point because it's um i i've got the utmost respect for the rya and for the mca and for you know the um the authorities that teach us how to do astronaut but the fact of the matter is that the navigator traditional navigator's job is a huge thing to take the undertaking you you're setting up star sites for your morning shot. You're going to do one in the, uh, in, the, in the morning as part of your running fix. You're going to do midday. You're going to do an afternoon fix. You're going to do one in the evening. You might do something at the moon. Like it's a whole thing. Mm. And it also, if you get bad conditions, you might not be able to see anything for a couple of days. And then you'll Easily, yeah. tag what's new into what's old and you'll correct. And there's a whole thing. Plus the charts used to have like the side profile of mm. the mountains and the bays and everything. So that you'd come in, you'd be... 10, 20, 30 miles off where you thought you were, and then you reassess and go into coastal nav and start doing three-point fixes. Yeah. But um, the likelihood of, like, all of the stuff flares out, and then you're just going to, like, click into being... You'd need to be, like, an ocean master instructor to be able to just click in. And that's working on the basis that there is actually stuff overhead. I think... Al and I don't mean to say don't do the ocean master mm. stuff, but alloyed with that should be that you should always have a G a handheld GPS that's somehow like in a Pelly case yeah. or it's Faraday cage somehow or whatever it is. And you, you have this other thing what you're going to do, which is like your triage electronic navigation, because even at its most fundamental, just numbers on a screen, it's way more accurate oh. and, and way more likely to give you something than uh, going to astronaut. Yeah. And I think, I think the, the main thing would be like as as a sailor as you learn it's always having backups for your for your backups so if if, yeah. if if you know using the sextant is your is your backup and you can do that then fine yeah. um for me i haven't done it in a while I'd, I'd be able to do it but it would take me um, a little while to get back into, yeah. into the groove of it but if i've got my i know i'm having my backup and it's exactly i've got my little uh, handheld gps that's in my 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 uh, grab bag what have you then I can kind of lean on that as my as my backup. If I'm honest, like I did my 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 ocean master and all the rest of that stuff. But if I'm honest about it, I think um, if if I was actually like plunged into that situation, I think I could rely on the fact that I could do a midday site because the maths is so yep. easy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then I'd basically be running a line of latitude, which puts me not much ahead of the Vikings. Really, I should probably <laughs> take some land birds with Gotta me. Use so some I could... sunstone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, it's, but that's kind of where I'd probably fall out. So that I think that's realistic. Like the the chance of you just you know you'd be better have like an iPad app. You've got the sextant. You've got the iPad app, and it just gives you answers. And the iPad is somehow stored to one side. The likelihood that you're just going to be... I can remember crossing the Atlantic uh, a couple of years ago. We left Lunenburg in like early November and we were in five serious like systems as we went across to the Canaries. Mm. I don't think we saw the sun properly at midday or a proper horizon and stars yeah. the entire time. The entire voyage was made possible because we had fully functional at that time electronic gear. But yeah. um, I think what... <clears throat> and I say I don't want to like push aside what the Ocean Master is... But it's, um, I think it's more intelligent to say, look, if things go wrong, try this other electronic version, try this mm. other piece of equipment, because it's much more likely people can problem solve with that than getting out a pencil and piece of paper and doing long division. Yeah. And I always operate under the kind of idea that the, the more you know, the, the better off you are. So I like, I yeah, like totally. taking on those, <laughs> those new kind of 
elements to it. Yeah. The, the more you know, thorough understanding I have of the whole picture, the yeah. more confident I feel. And as you said before, like confidence is key when you're when you're out at, at sea there. So for me, doing that, I was I was super excited to do it, and it was you know, and it's a little bit of a traditional yeah. thing. You like, but me, in it's your like, when problems come, you're like, oh, this is bad, but I'm enjoying yeah, it. This is fun. Yeah, <laughs> that problem solving little thing yeah. stands up like, oh, like a big cat. Hey, what's this? Yeah. It's already happened. Like you can't do anything about it now. We can well, start by lighting. Exactly. We can fix it. Yeah. 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 Um, Let's just check where we're getting up to with our recording here. Oh, we can just tag back into this with a hand clap. Oh my goodness. Fuck. Forty three minutes already. Yeah, and I, and I don't think we need to uh, apologize for that. I think it's fine. Oh, I can't spell my own password. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Hello. Just make sure it's still recording. Yeah. It's still good. I got thirty one minutes. Abby, you stopped yours. <clears throat> I stopped mine because I'm, I'm like that. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep mine rolling. That's good. Yeah. Um. Uh. Yeah. So, uh, how did it go? I guess I guess come the end of this, then the question is like, how did it turn out? Did you survive? We we did survive. Um, and once we kind of got through that, that kind of uh, you know, brought everybody you know, together and, and focused yeah. on, the, on the goal. <laughs> did you have like a training montage? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the other thing that went was the, the autopilot. So then we had mm. to hand steer the whole way back. So, sure. so sure. 20, uh, 20 days of, uh, of helming to get, to get back. So that was, uh, yeah. that was great for, for learning as well. Um, cause again, yeah. So yeah. easy to like put a, a nice, uh, positive wash on it. Now. Wow. Exactly. <laughs> I, yeah, I always, I always believe you learn more from your, you know, your fuck ups, if you will, or, you know, hard times and, you know, oh, for sure. As it says on all the nautical uh, photos, you know, smooth seas never make a solid sailor. So yeah, it is true. But um, I'm trying to reduce. Yeah. <laughs> people like sailing with me because I'm like an experienced sailor. But it's like, do you realize like how many mistakes? Well, exactly. You gotta you gotta experience. go through yeah. everything to to get to that to that point. So yeah. I never I never frown upon you know. <clears throat> Cheatier moments because I know it just makes you. I think I think for me like I see disaster looming over the horizon like I know you. <laughs> yeah. I'm going the other way. I can see you. Been down poking your head out. I yeah, see you there. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So um. So obviously that then if you were gonna not go into sailing, that would have been, been the watershed. That would have been uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So what came after uh, South Africa then and and that kind of um, So after that, um, so I did a couple couple other uh, deliveries. So again, some. Similar kind of stories, uh, but we <laughs> we can get into that later on. Um, but I guess the kind of the next kind of alteration in course would have been moving into the charter side of the, the industry. Yeah. So kind of moving away from the deliveries. Well, still staying with the deliveries, but uh, doing some charter work as well. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of my first uh, captaincy role. Yeah. Uh, so I did. And where were you doing that? Uh, so between uh, Europe and uh, the Mediterranean, more specifically, and yeah. and over in the in the Caribbean. Nice. Um, and that was that was fantastic. And this was kind of like the the real fun kind of. I've never had this you know experience. see the sea gypsy kind of you know go yeah. the wind blows you. So many kind people of, like oh yeah, I was a charter captain in uh, Croatia, and we get all these young people on board. We have all these parties. I'm like yeah. What, what, how, what, how does that turn off? Like, I always seem to have people like 50 and older or people that are, you know, we're doing out band stuff and we're mm. developing people and like they've got tough backgrounds and they're, they're building themselves up. Mm. But uh, Or it's racing and obviously no one's interested in having fun there. They're just doing that. Or yeah. super stuff where you're like paid servitude. So, um, yeah, that's where exactly where you're in the Mediterranean. 
Uh, so I did a little bit between Italy, Greece, nice. and Croatia. Beautiful. Um, Croatia, I guess, was main the main one. Um, yeah. Croatia is absolutely absolutely Everyone beautiful. Everyone says that. Everyone and, says Croatia is gorgeous and so nice for for sailing because yeah. it's just like the perfect kind of trade wind conditions all the time. Mm. Um, you never get any sea state really, other than when you get this uh, storm system that comes through called the the Bora. And it like comes through like eighty knots within two seconds, kind yeah. of thing. But other than that, oh, wow, it is. Really? Oh yeah, and they're they're pretty serious. Um, can you see it in the clouds beforehand? You, you can see them on the horizon, and by the time you see them on the horizon, if you're out at sea, then it's it's too late because it just moves that that wow, quick across. Wow. They're uh, they're pretty <laughs> pretty what do you interesting. Brace, brace, brace. So we had one. Um, so we were in. It's called Toto's Bay um, on an island called uh, Parmigiana there, and we were coming in to to anchor. And it was a very crowded anchorage spot there, and we'd all got the warnings from the the charter companies. You know, it's, it's, you know, there's potential that this storm's coming through. Yeah. And then boom, we could see it on the on the horizon. We're like, oh shit, we got to move here. Come it's on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, and then before we knew it, it came through. Um, and then you'd saw it was probably 50, 60 boats in there on anchorage, and then some of them were were moored up, and then. I was basically driving with my fingers with a little slit because yeah. the rain was hitting me that that hard <clears throat> that I couldn't actually see, and I'm just trying to like stare at my GPS to try and find the exit to the to the bay any, so I could get out into open water. Point, I didn't have any sails up, no, luckily, okay. and I was actually uh, on a cat at this yeah. time as well, so I had yeah. the luxury of the two engines there. Yeah. Um, excuse me. Um, but <laughs> so you're going, and you've got maybe a vision range of maybe like a foot past your bow and all of a sudden i just start seeing seeing like one boat like dragging back anchors like dragging that they're dragging it like probably three four knots i'm like oh "Oh my god (laughs) and i'm driving with my fingers in front of my eyes so i could actually you know see stuff yeah and just looking down at gps oh (laughs) trying to get out of the the way of these boats um and uh luckily i got out, out into the open water and i basically just did uh donuts out there for basically an hour waiting for it to, to pass. And it's just like an hour of it, is it? That it's, it's, yeah, it's come and it's gone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I also yeah. called the Bora. The uh, Bora Bora coming through, yeah. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, Bora. Oh, yeah, Bora. Yeah. Um, I was trying to think, there's a car called a Bora, isn't it? Is it Maserati or? I don't know. I feel there's a... I'm yeah. suddenly realising where that name might have come from. Yeah. But so, yeah, okay, I'll look that up later. But see, this is like, unlike the Joe Rogan podcast, we don't have Jamie here. Yeah. That's going to be our first, advancement. If we ever get Ken, we'll get to. He'd like find one to buy. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be set enough to go and put it on the trailer. Um, yeah, so, so uh, all of that though, like, did you enjoy being in the charger industry? It's something that I like, I did with Super Yards, and I, I kind of liked it, but I think there's a like holy trinity of. Uh, great boat, great crew, great owner. And that's mm. very difficult to find in the super industry. On charter boats, I guess the company may or may not like, but then the crew are changing quite regularly. Yeah. You get good ones, get bad it's, ones. Exactly. It's kind of hit and miss in mm. that uh, in that aspect. Um, I would just say the thing that kind of pushed me away from it was the re- repetitiveness, I guess you could say, sure, and sure. just kind of the lack of challenge. Like once you've... Yeah once you've done it you've oh that was my story i used to say there's no grit in this well exactly and it's you know it's fun <laughs> but you can only do fun for so long yeah it's you need something you know hard difficult to push and strive for well a lot of people would say no you don't there's something odd about it. say so, yeah. i can remember one of my first um offshore sailing experiences which was when i was 18 i was in hong kong and the captain of the tall ships i worked on greg tonison uh he took me out doing this uh like racing like a 40 foot boat it was out around a rock called piedra blanco of hong kong and you like 
it starts in the mid-morning, you get there by midnight, you turn around, it's downwind back from it. Mm. And I can remember distinctly going to sleep in like an inch of water mm. and going, this is hell. Like, oh, I'm yeah. never doing this again. <laughs> but by the time you got back to the dock and you've had some beers and you yeah. start telling the story, it's like, man, let's go again. You wow. want to come next week? It's like, misery seems to be something that we like. Indeed mm. it is. And those are the, those are the stories that uh, that you remember and, yeah. and the enjoyment of getting through it is, is better than, you know, well, for now, me, well, again, for me or you, uh, sitting yeah. on a beach and sipping a Mai Tai for the rest of your life, kind of. I'm wondering if my attitude's changing a little bit as I get older, like, sipping <laughs> a Mai Tai on the beach. Wow, okay, yeah. But once you, once you put the grid in, yeah. then you can appreciate the Mai Tai, whereas... I if, think that's what's, like, retarded about the same way I've done sailing. Like, so many people are doing it with loads of beers and loads of fun, and even when I go to the Caribbean doing the stuff with Spartan, we can't drink, mm. like, that much. We drink in the evening on mm. one of the big parties, but you can't be... You're not on your holidays, right? Yeah. Everyone else is on the holidays, and you're not on your yeah. holidays, so... Um, I seem to like found a way of making happiness difficult. Um, oh, exactly. And that's... I, I, I but <laughs> if you can about, do that, um, you're, you're well off. Talking yeah. about doing it tough, you were telling me that you did um, this uh, like native kayak like trip in, tell me about that, in Africa, like dugout canoe and what was all that? Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was, um, so I actually got introduced to this um, years and years ago actually when i kind of originally moved to south africa not not uh, not long after yeah. um and i thought it was the coolest thing it was an adventurous program uh and it's a kind of traditional wooden dow but it's a hollowed out hand hand done everything's uh hand done uh, native to the to the area there and what the what they fish in and all that uh, but it's a hollowed out mango tree that's just wide enough <laughs> for you to sit in it's maybe about a meter and a half deep more or less um and i think it was about so it's like four four feet deep is that right four, yeah about four feet deep oh, okay so, so, so you've got some sides on it yeah yeah but like that also sits in the water right pretty so you're you're yeah, okay yeah, you're yeah, right yeah, on right. the water line it's not like it's made of carbon yeah yeah <laughs> okay gotcha yeah sorry yeah it's pretty heavy yeah <laughs> um and i think it was about i want to say eight no not eight yeah maybe eight meters eight meters long oh wow um and then you've got the outriggers on the side yeah. Uh, and it was a three-person crew. Yeah. Um, and so just so it's it's like twenty-five foot long, and then it's got arms going yeah, out from the side like a trimaran, and then it's got little armors on the end of it, little like hulls out. To yeah, exactly. It. And by hulls, it's just a bit of um, kind of pretty. I can't I can't remember what wood they use, but it was a pretty buoyant buoyant wood, so it kind yeah. of helps it. Uh, stay up. Otherwise, you'd obviously. And then tip a dowel that's just like one big yard that it. One big yard. There. Hoist to the top of the sail? yeah exactly yeah. triangle sail, sail and yeah. you'd hook the the tack pretty much well actually you it's pretty much all off just the tack line you could kind of get it in and actually fix it to the bow of the boat when yeah. you're kind of pinching but pinching is a uh, an over overstatement <laughs> what you could actually uh, <laughs> do on these boats yeah. yeah um and then ease the tack off and kind of run it square rigged when you're when you're running downwind and then once um, it got inside just like boards or nothing nothing, or nothing. absolutely nothing you'd nothing. sit on the end, so that so this was one of the, the best parts of it you sit on a hollowed mango tree that was maybe about two inches wide yeah and then your ass would just be sat on that the whole time wow. if you're if you're on the tiller so your ass now looks like like a hot cross bun or something it's just got this permanent permanent yep <laughs> yeah um and it's a three-person crew so you kind of um move through the uh the role so the middle person would be your bailer yeah okay because these things are not very watertight. Did you know these all. guys before? These yeah, so these before. were these were buddies of mine that I, yeah. I reached out to and was like, hey, do you want to do this? You know, I've wanted to do this for, <laughs> forever. And they were mad enough to say, you know, yeah, for sure. Um, so yes. what's, the, what's the route? Uh, so it was leaving from the northern tip of Zanzibar, 
Ooh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then you turn in towards the coast yeah. of the mainland, and then you head down, and it was eight days, nine days, sorry. So what is that, uh, which country are you coming onto the coast of there? Is that like Mozambique or higher up? Is that Kenya or? Uh, no, so it was all um, Zanzibar. Oh, look okay. at you're on the island of Zanzibar. Oh, Go sorry, sorry. Jeez, why am I getting this wrong here? Um, what's the mainland of? Tanzania, sorry. Jeez. Tanzania. Sorry, Tanzania. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I'm going. So the African sorry. continent. Yeah, you start on Zanzibar, Zanzibar and you turn into Zan- uh, Tanzania. Tanzania. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so you end up um, eight days down the coast in uh, Tanzania. Wow. And you just kind of island hop. So yeah. the only rule was that you're not allowed to sail during the night. Right. So you kind of just got to make camp. Right. Um, and it's, so, it's a race. And it was a race. Yeah. <laughs> oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, uh, how very, many boats in it? There was. Um, I think there was. 16 or 15 boats oh, like sure. that um, and uh, yeah three person team for each um, and they were pretty amazing boats and yeah so you got a guy with a paddle so if it's you know light winds you can paddle sure. to help yourself along you've got a bucket so a bailer uh, and he sits in the middle and then you got the third guy which is the monkey man so depending on how breezy it actually is and what point of sail you're on right. is the person that's putting weight and essentially your, your ballast if you will uh, and he goes out and stands on the outrigger. Oh, wow. So it'll actually wow. be like his whole body yeah. pretty much out overexposed over the water. And he's out there the whole time keeping the boat. Did you have flat. life jackets and tethers? Or? So, we had, so we had life jackets. Um, right. And that I was just the other thing. Is, I just literally did a podcast about life jackets. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, we're going to make tree. Where'd you, where'd you play? Exactly? <laughs> yeah. got a mandatory tree. So, yeah, no tethers. Um, yeah. But that's the other thing. So you had to bring all of your kit with you. Um, right. So other than maybe some supplies that you pick up from the islands, where it was all island communities that have never been introduced to foreigners at all. Yeah. Um, so that's the first time they're seeing people from, oh, you know. Man. <laughs> so, They'd be impressed. Holy crap, their, who are these uh, people? Oh, that was it. Boats, they they yeah. were super impressed that they were using their boats. And yeah, for yeah. that time of year as well, like nobody really goes out. Right. Because um, the seas were getting pretty rough. Yeah. And like we went through one storm there where we had this mango tree doing... I think we, we, we actually clocked the highest speed for the, the fleet. I remember this. We were doing, I think, 10 knots, I think, in a mango, in a mango tree. tree. And this 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 wooden boat hummed, I swear. It was fucking amazing. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Was Traditional boats and flute and purr and hum. And yeah, oh, man, it was amazing. That. It was so funny. But, like, you're on the edge of this thing. So we were actually, I remember we were going through the storm, and we were in third at that time. And these things were so easy to capsize. Like, yes. so, so easy to capsize. And we... We were going along, we were in third place, and we just see the one boat just absolutely, it was like the equivalent of like a pitch bull barrel roll kind of thing. It like, so <laughs> down the line and then swivel out. Yeah. Oh, and it would just looked awful. Like, oh my God. And then, so there's no bilges or anything on this. And Can once you, you get- the sail or anything or? Um, not really. Just no, it's either up or down. That's it. <laughs> we put um, it up and God brings it down. Yeah, that's it. Um, so we saw them just absolutely eat it. Yeah. And we're like, oh man, oh man. Um, Okay, and then pretty much right after that, we saw the boat that was pretty much adjacent to them do the exact same thing. Mm. And like, <laughs> there's not really any support vessels out here to no. help. So it's like, okay, now these guys have just gone into the middle of the ocean <laughs> um, in these little can wooden you, boats. <laughs> can you bail it or what happens once she gets full of water? So we've got like these kind of inflatable tubes that we would, we get two of them. Right. So you can actually slip them under. So the boats would pretty much stay afloat regardless because they were yeah. wood, even when they were fully full of uh, water they would still yeah. stay float um but not enough that you could actually you know bail them out because the waves would keep breaking over yeah. and it would just keep refilling you couldn't bail them fast enough so the way you do it is you get these little pontoons basically and you'd stick them under the outriggers on either side oh sure and we've got a little kind of 
almost like a little pen shaped uh, little mouth nozzle that we'd yeah. blow into just like what you'd see on your tender that same yeah. same fitting there yeah. and he'd have to orally inflate one tube and then orally inflate the other one and you could just get it up out of the water just enough that the waves okay. weren't continuing and then you could bail it out what do the locals do when they have to deal with that situation well that's why they're not out in the, uh, <laughs> in the crabby crabby conditions yeah yeah and as i was talking look in a parallel universe another version of you could become a trader selling inflatable noodles and <laughs> locals in zanzibar that's not bad uh... just thank you <laughs> Um, wow but yeah i'll get i'll get to the story in a second of the, the locals when it goes goes wrong there but um so yeah we saw one boat go down and then we saw the other boat go down and pretty much simultaneously we're like yes here we go first place and at the same time <laughs> we're like <laughs> at the same time we're like oh shit we gotta help them <laughs> um yeah. so let's we, help them from ahead <laughs> yeah <laughs> so we actually what we did was and so these boats were so you, <laughs> so you basically had a a bit of rigging that you'd have. So we had one line that would run to windward that would basically hold up your, your mast. Yeah. Um, um, especially when you're running off the breeze. Uh, How many stays are on the mast? Just one. Just <laughs> you one, yeah. So, this, so, well, and you couldn't even tack because otherwise it would turn in onto itself. So you always had to jibe every single time. And oh, okay, then, right. So you had to jibe and then flip down the front of the yard arm and then oh, up sure, again. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, dip it. Dip it, dip, exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then quickly get that uh, support back on gotcha. to the windward side gotcha. so doing this in calm seas was you know an exercise in itself yeah doing this in 25 30 knots was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so we're like oh, okay we gotta help them like at least make sure they're all okay so we got <laughs> actually jive this thing in these 20 25 knot oh, conditions god. And we did not capsize the boat. We're like yeah. thinking back, we're like, God, that was pretty dumb. We could have all just been in the water, really. Sure. Um, but actually managed to and capsize there a support it. boat for this? Or? There was one. Yeah. And it was spread across a 15-boat fleet. And at this oh. point, we'd left from a beach that had a pretty massive onshore breaking swell. Yeah. And there was a mistake by the fleet that night. They didn't expect the wind to blow in as quickly as it did yeah. and luckily we were one of the first boats to get out onto the water and we just dropped our pick um and there's like little rebar anchors on them and everything i was gonna say <laughs> yeah there's a, there's a tiny little anchors, rebar anchor rebar, right. um and then so we got got ours out into the kind of open water and then we're helping people push off yeah but it was nice. getting as the tide was moving out it was getting harder and harder to get these boats because there's a step on the beach yeah yeah so they were actually back helping trying to get these boats moving gotcha. um so they were way back like way way back <laughs> um so yeah, no no help for a foreseeable amount of time, and then I, it's just like a, a nightmare of health and safety. All this. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, it's not <laughs> only possible. wasn't wasn't for the faint of heart, and no. it was it was advertised as such. Yeah, um, sure, sure. You had to pay to be in this, or so yeah. So this was um, a paid excursion, and That's then worth and then I'm um, gonna ask you what it was, what it cost. It's definitely worth it for that. Oh, it was yeah, yeah. for sure, and it wasn't an extortionate amount of, of money, and then quite a bit of it went to uh, the charity as well. So it was, oh, cool. yeah, yeah, great. Um, that makes me think of like those tuk-tuk races across India. Same same company that runs oh, it. Oh, wow. Same okay, company. that's cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, it's called the Kraken Cup. Right. Yeah. Go right in for it. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, anyways, <laughs> um, so we circled back to make sure that these guys are all okay. Um, they gave us the thumbs up and sure. we're like, good yeah. enough. <laughs> that's it. We're Peace, off we're off. We're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, not all about winning. It's not all it's about not winning. It's not all about winning, exactly. Um, so yeah, so that was uh, one time we got the boats up moving. So these these things were pretty uh, fantastic. But the whole uh, 
the whole exercise was amazing going to these islands meeting these people like we'd been bartering for for fish with some of the locals there um one of the guys taught me how to uh to gut an octopus i'd never done that before so that was a uh, really cool i'd always wanted to, to know how to do that yeah. i'm pretty big into to spear fishing and all that so I'm, i love being in the water and but octopuses man like but okay from Mars or something, fair like, enough they're not part of I watched, you know, I don't know emotion. if you've watched it or not, uh, My Octopus Teacher, I think it's called. It's a, a Netflix uh, special. It's a Disney? It, no, it's, <laughs> uh, no, it's a Netflix uh, documentary. Sure. I think they, they did, I can't remember exactly how it yeah. was, but um, but it's actually a guy from South Africa, funny enough. Um, and he, it's like a two hour long thing. He basically develops this friendship with this octopus and it shows just how insanely intelligent and mindful yeah. these things are. And ever since I saw that, I've, I've kind of, I've never had octopus. No, since. I gotta say it's one of the animals I don't eat. It's like yeah. mm, that's just way too smart. Mm. You know, it's uh, there's something different. I think people do say they're literally from like other planets. I'm not sure about that, but it's uh, yeah. but they're very, but they just look so alien mm. that it's I can see yeah. why we've started eating them. And and where we were, it was like a seagoing yeah. colony, and it's not. It's like you know they For take sure. they take what they need, and they live in symbiosis with the you know the ecosystem there. Yeah. So it's. It's not like they're extortionately pulling these things out. They're generally pulling them out for survival and this and that. And in yeah. that circumstance, you know, it's like, you know, okay, it's already dead. Um, sure. I'm hungry. Sure. And this guy's cooking it up on this little <clears throat> pot on the beach. And I'm, I'm like, I'm okay. Just <laughs> to find if, uh, I've, it's something I've been struggling with, I guess, in the last five or ten years is that uh, I'm a real animal lover. And I'm um, I, I kind of touched by the fact that I don't uh, take any responsibility at all for where meat comes from. And uh, I don't really have any particular control over where waste goes. And I think for someone like me, I don't like that. I don't like the fact that I'm like, you know, you know I'm making sure the cats have got a comfy bed and mm -hmm. stroking them. And then, then a pig gets killed to give me bacon. And I'm like, I think what I've done is I've ended up at a point where like, I either need to be happy about hunting things mm -hmm. and take responsibility for that, or I need to be vegetarian. And I've concluded that I can't be vegetarian. So I'm, I'm like, slow, or I need to find an ethical solution. I think it's the same thing that Joe Rogan went through. Yeah. He was talking about that, like, when he started his podcast, and he just went down the hunting path. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's it's a slippery slope in terms of convenience. And it's yeah. like, you know, not everybody's in the same bed where, like, Joe Rogan, you know, he's you know, he's pretty well off and he can go and do his kind of thing and take the time to go hunting and get his sure, own meat. Sure. Whereas, you know, someone living a nine-to-five doesn't necessarily yeah, have the uh, <laughs> the time to go out and shoot a boar to feed I was reading something a little while ago and it was saying it's the only time in history that uh, that poor people are fat because it's actually crappy calories it's cheaper to be fat yeah. Yeah. yeah but um, but taking responsibility for that stuff is important and you're right like if it's coming from the sea then and you, you kill it you consume it completely like I think mean, well, it's ethically and that's it and then I love that's why I love spearfishing because yeah. like as you're entering the water you're no longer the apex <clears throat> predator well at least where i've mm, done like a lot of my spear yeah. fishing as well so you're putting yeah. yourself on a level playing ground yeah and i've swam and fished with some man eaters i've had you know four or five meter tiger sharks swimming underneath me wow. um bull wow. sharks that kind of stuff and it's a pretty you know surreal surreal moment in yeah. that but you're putting yourself in there you it know gives you another view of the ecosystem right? it does, so it's just exactly. like a thing you learn about at school it's like you're in it yeah yeah that and it's a huge the skillful thing like to go down and hold your breath for two sure. two and a half minutes you know learn which fish are going to be in which area that mm. kind of thing which fish are you know not to be eaten that are helpful to the reef like parrot fish or whatever mm, mm. so you know you've got your list of fish your size of fish you know you're looking out for your predators this that and then you've got the physical and mental game of sure. actually the free diving so when you go down there and you, you shoot your fish then it's like you know i, I deserve this and you know, i'm not taking too much like no no for sure and, that, and then and then when we do 
you know, eat because normally what we'll do is we have bring my, my buddies about when I was uh, living out in South Africa. So we'll bring a sailboat out and make a day or two, two days of it kind of thing. And you come back and you use every part of the fish and you thank the fish, this, that, what sure, have you. Sure. And yeah, in that respect, like 100%, like I, I don't... And you develop that skill of doing like that deep diving. I've always been very interested in that. I do a lot of um, sub aqua diving, but it's, mm -hmm. uh, I always have problems pressurizing my like nasal cavity mm -hmm. and that and getting equilibrium. Is that just a skill you pick up as you go along? You know what? It's it's one of those things. I so I actually did a free diving course in Bali, which mm. um, more than anything changed my mental look on the whole thing, which actually helped with the whole um, reaching equilibrium. And yeah. they teach you a whole bunch of different kind of techniques that help. Right. Um, but they also give you a different mindset of you know how your body's reacting to the whole to the whole situation, and like when you start getting the uh, the reflexes of you know your chest compressing yeah. compressing it's not actually you know your body saying oh i need oxygen it's your body saying actually i need to breathe out i've got too much carbon dioxide in yeah. my body so yeah. it's like oh okay and then you they put uh the little o2 readers on your fingers so it measures the oxygen in your blood so it like proves to you so prove you yeah it's like yeah, okay yeah. so you feel like you need to breathe right now guess what your oxygen percentage is mm -hmm. in your blood and you're like oh 50 60 percent whatever it is and it'll be like 98 97 percent wow and it's like yeah typically people will pass out around the 60 64 percent range so it's oh, like you have that much of a margin that you could actually hold your breath for i used to do lots of like practice for that i remember being at university and holding my breath for five minutes um and i was the, the girl that I was with at the time was like starting to freak out a little bit. Mm. But it was, uh, it might have been a bit more actually, but it was, uh, but I, I always thought that might be like a path I'd go down and just life takes you in other directions. I've become the, I think you're a dive master now, right? Yeah. I'm the most crap diver <laughs> there is because I think I've done like 200 dives and they're all under boats. It's all <laughs> yeah. scraping boats. Scraping well, yeah. <laughs> like the deepest I ever go is four meters. I was doing the mooring here at the, at the house and putting that in. Mm. And, uh, I ended up realizing, like, I'm actually putting myself at massive risk. I'm so blasé about going up and down. Because when you're two meters under a boat, it doesn't matter if you go up and down. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly I was out there looking for mooring blocks and setting all the stuff up. I was at 40 feet and going up and down. Yep. I was like, this is that's, not good. This is a great way to knock yourself there. out. Yep, for yeah, sure, yeah. So I'd like to develop that more. But yeah. there's lobster out here in the bay, hey? I just saw it the other day. I actually freaked out. Because, again, if you're under a boat and you're just scraping the bottom of the boat. Something uh, crawling up, yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing <laughs> that's going to, like, come snip you and snap you, yeah. you know. It's like... <laughs> I was out like mooching around the other day with, uh, well, I said the other day, in the summer, clearly I would not go out in the water at the moment, but uh, there's like lobsters and crabs and all sorts of stuff hanging out there. They get tuna here, right? Get, oh, yeah. Yeah, tuna make their way into the into the bay here once in the blue moon, so oh, yeah, nice. it's actually something to uh, to have a look at, but um, yeah, wow, free driving, I would, I see all those like lovely like Enya soundtracked videos of oh, people yeah. with like mono fins and things and I just think like if I was <laughs> freaking out <laughs> at the surface, get yeah. me out of this thing. <laughs> well, and that's it. It's like such a mental, such a mental game as well. Yeah. Like for me anyways, like when I go spearing or when I just go free diving that the first like probably 10 minutes, um, you're pretty tentative because you're, you're getting sure. in and you know, you're kind of looking around and you know checking your surroundings, making sure. And then after, you know, 30, 40 minutes and you get kind of immersed in the actual hunting or just diving and checking yeah. stuff out, then you just kind of blend into it. And then your dive times, yeah. your bottom time like doubles because you just, you get and more relaxed. that must relaxed be a very and... serene kind of solitary space in your head where it's, you're just underwater like that. It's like my equivalent of meditation. I could never yeah. do meditation, but when you, when you go down and you do the free diving, then it's it's well the whole breathe up and all that is is breathing so it's kind of yeah. you know similar retrospect to 
to uh, the meditation and that. Sure. Um, and yoga and stuff like that before helps as well, just kind of calming, calming yourself. Um, but yeah, once you go down and you become kind of part of the ocean essentially, yeah. and then it just goes silence because there's, and, there's and no people, sound other than... In the modern world, people are really crap at breathing. It's like such an obvious thing. Mm -hmm. Like you just breathe, don't you? It's like there's, there's different ways of breathing and your, your quality of life can be so different if you know how to breathe, if you're aware of your breathing. And I think that's, that's pretty documented now. Mm -hmm. there's, no, there's a new book out called Breath, isn't there? I know that was... We're both fans of the Joe Rogan podcast, mm. so there was that that dude who's on the Joe Rogan really? podcast. Okay. Yeah, and he's got a book called Breath, and it's like it's all about. It. He studied it from all over the I world, think I've heard that actually, things. Yeah, yeah. if you well, you've got a skill in this area, mm. you might be interested in that. Yeah. Mm. Hey there, we're about uh, halfway through now. I hope that you're enjoying the discussion so far and that this uh, audio is not too bad for you. Just want to remind you that this podcast is produced uh, not in a fancy studio somewhere by a big multinational. It's uh, me in my house in Nova Scotia overlooking the garden. And if you want to support what's going on here and lend a hand, keep the podcast going, go over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash The Mariner. And there you can... Uh, like to pop a couple of dollars in the jar that keeps these things going obviously many hands make light work and uh yeah if we keep going with that i'm happy to keep doing this and do these interviews do these information uh episodes and share with you the knowledge that i've got hope that that's something that uh you're willing to do we've got another hour to go here hopefully you'll enjoy the rest of what ryan's got to say he seems pretty fun so far right cheers Okay, so um, back to like career stuff then. So you've done this this delivery across the uh, South Atlantic, and then you and then you've done the charter work. So yep. you a bit like I were getting a bit sick of uh, the charter thing. Um, well, this one's a bit of a funny kind of just life kind of directing you into a, a certain certain path. Um, but uh, yeah, as you had mentioned earlier, actually a good segue into this was uh, the whole diving thing. So I had actually taken a break from the the charter to go and do my uh, my dive masters, mm. which was uh, which I went and did over in uh, in Bali. So I did uh, oh, nice. three months uh, three months over there, just pretty much diving. You take nice places to do training. It's not like you're doing it on a well, like, kind of rainy Monday evening in uh, London. That's it. <laughs> and if anybody's looking to do the dive masters, I highly recommend it because it's yeah. dirt cheap compared to other places and yeah. the diving there is absolutely fantastic and the living costs are next to nothing. I had a friend who did some diving in, in that part of the world. There's some, there's some, it's beautiful there. Awesome. Yeah. Wreck dives. Yeah. Reef is fantastic. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely loved it there. It was awesome. I used to get around on my little uh, longboard. Yeah. I would just sketch on the back of like local scooters. Yeah. And they would love it. They would just pop on and I'd just get towed around the towed around the island on my on my longboard. Oh wow. <laughs> um but yeah, anyway, so yeah, moving away from, from charter. Um so I was doing my, my dive masters over there and it just uh, also happened to be a time where my brother was taking a, a bit of a, a break from, from school. Yeah. Um and he so I've been kind of globe trotting now for a couple of years um and my brother's never left uh never left canada before sure. um sure. so he's like oh. he's looking over you going like uh there's another way of doing this well yes and no. i think he kind of just wanted a, a bit of a break from what he'd been doing he'd been doing school for a while yeah. um and a couple of his buddies were kind of in the same boat so they came over to do a, a thailand trip that just mm. kind of 
uh, meshed nicely with my uh, time frame over in Bali, which is stones stones throw away. Yeah. Um. So I ended up doing uh three uh three months with um was it no not three months sorry month uh month and a half um with with them uh, over in Thailand and um, time was kind of closing up on our on our trip over there. Did they did they have like some big cultural tour plan? Or was it beaches and surf? Or? It was it was your typical, <laughs> yeah, kind of Thailand uh, hostel to hostel drinking weird alcohol that I don't even know if it classifies. I remember going to Thailand alcohol. for uh, a two week holiday that was meant to be like temples and places of interest, and it turned into eleven weeks sitting on the beach. Yeah, going nowhere. <laughs> playing playing it does that all. to you, yeah. Drinking something called red cock vodka that was I'm pretty red sure cock vodka. yeah it was it, it worked out to like I don't know like four dollars a bottle or something ridiculous oh. it was it was paint thinner is putting it lightly yeah um, but they always uh, seems like Red Bull's doing well what else can yeah. we put the word red with? <laughs> um, but yeah anyways we were kind of wrapping up and um, I was moving on from that I had actually two options on the table. I was going to go, uh, sub in for first mate on this, uh, so I think 110 foot, um, uh, what was it? A catch that was based out in, in Thailand actually. And it was going to Singapore, I think it was something like that. And they needed a, a first mate for a, a three month period. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. Like, Once you've got that, uh, ocean master qualification, do you find it's easy to, to get work? I know a lot of people have been listening to this who are interested in getting to the industry. Like, does it actually equal success in a job place? I would say it gets the ball rolling. It gets your yeah. foot in the door. And yeah. once you've got the certificate, that's kind of just almost the bare minimum. And then you're looking at what you've actually what you've actually done and, and where your kind of skill set um, lies. So if you're looking to do the super yachting thing, then it's the big thing they look at is, you know, how much how much time you've put on put in on certain boats and in your roles and that and you kind of move up within your own kind of box that you've built yourself um or if you're doing deliveries or charters and that kind of stuff you know it's which companies you've worked for what boats you've driven this that and what have you all of which kind of need that yacht master to get started yeah so once you're started then i would say it's that that ticket they look for is obviously the first thing they look for it's like okay he's got the ticket and that's just kind of a box yeah, ticked just and then the, yeah it gets you in the door in the room, yeah. and then the, a lot of people that uh, i talked to when i first went into that industry they're like you've got to stay in each boat for a year do you think that's in the subiotic industry, I would say for sure that bodes well um, for well, you. I can never go back then. Well, yeah. <laughs> and that was, so I, I only ever did, I do a lot of kind of intermittent day work on subiotics. Yeah. Like whenever I'm a bit of a cash, uh, cash shortage, I'll stop in and wherever yeah, it is. being a sailor as it's known. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but in terms of like just rocking up in like Barcelona or Fort Lauderdale, and just getting on the day working scene for three months, that's normally what... That always weirded me out. When I, I first went onto that scene when I had never actually worked on a super yacht. So mm. I've been told, like, literally walk down the quay mm. in the morning, 8 a.m., and just ask if they want any help. And I really felt like I was, like, prostituting myself. It's... And I was very lucky. I was with uh, my girlfriend at the time, Karen, and she was much more able to communicate and feel relaxed in that situation. Mm. And within a couple of minutes, we got a job, and I never had to do it again. And I was so happy because it's... That's hard. Eh? You literally yeah. just got to be standing at the end of the passerelle with your CV in your hand. Basically, your hands out, you know. Yeah. Please, sir, I have some more kind yeah, of... Yeah, please, will you pay me 250 US <laughs> yeah. a day to come and polish your boat? No, it is. It's a weird... Um, it is a weird concept, and it's a lot of online grunt work behind the scenes as well, like 
replying to all the Facebook forums and this and that, and you basically just... Oh, that had it invented when I was doing this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's half the battle nowadays, doing yeah. that and trying to, you know, basically prostitute yourself out on the internet to like, please let me on, da 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 And then um, once you've done that in the morning, then, or in the afternoon, you go down in the mornings and yes, yeah, as you said, go walk the docks with your CV in hand and see if... Uh, See if somebody will let you on, but yeah, it's a very in, intimi- intimidating thing, especially the first if you've never job done it. We got, I remember we were <clears throat> walking down all these boats. No, no, don't any help, don't any help. I'm like, I can't do this very much longer. Mm. I hate this. Oh, pure rejection, just ninety yeah. percent of the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's, it's, like, it's... Like, I'm tough in some ways, but soft in others, like an egg. And like that is not a good way to like press my shell. But um, we we stopped at the back of this boat, which we ended ended up getting to know very well. And uh, it's like any work. And he's like, well. Um, we maybe have a job for you, like talking to me, but I don't think your girlfriend's going to be interested in like, well, what is it? He's like, well, the boats come over from the U S with riders on board, on board the ship that's been carrying it across, you know, dock, dock wise, wherever it was. Mm. And, uh, the holding tank was not emptying properly and it's exploded in the villages <laughs> and it's 400 liters of human excrement, uh, <laughs> spread all over the villages. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> sounds like a job. I don't think she'd want to do that. <laughs> well, yeah. And, and the thing was, Karen was great. So she's like, yeah, no problem. So she came and then immediately got kind of diverted off to other things. But it was an interesting day because um, we were working down there. There was a lot of water. There was a lot of mess. Um, mm-hmm. I think it was the new captain coming on. Actually, he was the guy that had done the Zero to Hero course. Mm-hmm. But he, he was groovy at this point. And the owners, they were very much involved in everything. And uh, I ended up getting very badly electrocuted. They had a 220-volt light down in the, in the villages, like an, an arc light, like a yeah, light. Yeah. And uh, I went to move it and it was wet and I got locked onto it. And I got locked onto it for long enough that someone came up, saw that I was being electrocuted and left to go and get help. And I was able to just about coordinate enough muscle control to to kind of operate my triceps and throw it away from me. Yeah. But by the time it was done, let's say it was like 20, 25 seconds, something like that, um, the, the, the my arms are like crooked up and twisted up with the contraction of my yeah, muscles. Yeah. And the thousand watt halogen light had been directly on my arm, so mm-hmm. I lost all the yeah, skin in my arm. So wow. the American owners were beside themselves. They thought I was going to sue them till the end of time. Yeah, and I was like, I got, I got cling wrap, which comes off the roll sterile. I just cling washed it all, cling wrapped it, put a bandage on it, went back to work. Oh, yeah. So I we had we had full time jobs by the end of the night. So we only ever had to do one. <laughs> there you go. You know, you know you're not going to so see you. Something that sometimes can really help, but yeah, it was an interesting way to get to know the boat. Mm. Welcome to Super Yachts. Mm. We're going to clean. Human feces from the village. There's not much super in super yachts once you get on it, mate. No, exactly. No. And it's funny you say that because like now a lot of people won't <laughs> won't hire Americans in that for exactly that that purpose of day work and that is yeah because if something like that does happen they're so afraid of getting yeah. sued or what have you. So well, we've been doing that recently, looking at sailboat insurance with something yeah, else you're going to be talking about later on, and uh, it very tricky. That that um um uh, litigation style to everything. Mm. Um, it's a short term. Thing. it long term it doesn't work i remember um hiring a, a girl onto a boat that was working on hong kong hong kong called abby and uh i had to petition and petition the owner to get her to come on board as an american she was eminently qualified for the position she was very good at it but um just that thing like the american passport was a big problem which is nothing to say anything about america like i've worked with loads of americans mm. it's not an issue it's the fact that previous people have just sought to get a short-term yeah, exactly. uh, gain out of it and it just screwed it up for everybody else. No, know? exactly, yeah. But, um, okay, so you want to get rid of it from this world, though. You want to get out of it and you think, I know, I'll go to where? Where, where took you fancy? Uh, yeah, so 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 this was kind of the whole Thailand thing was leading up to a very awesome uh, coincidence. Um, 
but yes, yeah, so as I was saying, I was potentially doing this uh, first mate job. Uh, it's just a little sub in for a few months kind of thing. Um, or I was potentially doing uh, another delivery. I can't remember from where, but I was like, okay, I got two options kind of on the table here. No worries. I can hang out with my brother and have a good time for a little mm. bit. And uh, I'll be... <laughs> I'll be on to a job uh, quite shortly, and then I can kind of fill up my uh, my piggy bank and carry on my way. Sure. Um, but then that uh, that night, um, I got an email saying, "Oh, you know, the, the owners of the the super yacht have just changed the the dates, and they're not actually going to be on uh, on at these times that we wanted. So we're not wow. actually going to need uh, need a sub for for these few months." Exactly. And I was like, "Oh, okay, there we go. Decision made for me. No worries. Mm -hmm. I'll go and uh, do the delivery." Um, and then that same night, uh, I got another email saying, uh, actually the boat's uh, fallen through and we're not going to need to deliver this. Um, oh da, 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 da. God, it's a whole plan of so, <laughs> so now I've, uh, I've been in Thailand for quite a while with my brother burning money. Like it was no big issue. And, yeah. uh, I went from two jobs to none overnight. I was yeah, like, wow. I was like, oh, okay. Not ideal. And I was like, all right, um, I'm not going to worry about this night. Um, can I go out, can I go out and have a good time and then I'll deal with it tomorrow. And then just funny enough. So, Very wise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoken like a true sailor. Yeah. yeah. I'm not doing this right now. <laughs> um, but literally as soon as I had kind of put my phone down, we headed out and, uh, where we were staying and sat down at the bar and had a, had a drink and, uh, sat down and just started chatting to this guy that was at the, at the bar sitting with us and <laughs> still a friend of mine today. But I remember we introduced ourselves to him and he had he had literally forgotten his name. <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> hey, I'm Ryan, and he, oh, hey, I'm uh, Richie, and I was like, Did you just forget your name. <laughs> so, which would have been it should have been a red flag right from the uh, from the get go. Um, but anyways, got to get chatting to him, and um, so I was immediately in my brain just starting to think of other opportunities, and I was like, okay, and I'd wanted to kind of to get into more like away from the charter thing. Yeah. Um, uh, and I, I know a few people over in Australia and I know Australia is quite, uh, quite big in that, in that world. So I was like, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, I've got some friends in Australia. Maybe I'll go, go over there and, and try and start getting into the... And there's loads of jobs there. My experience is that all young Australian people are in London or mm. in New York or whatever, answering or, the phones for all the different businesses there. There don't seem to be any at home. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I was kind of just letting this percolate in my brain in the, in the back, uh, back of my mind. And then I sit down behind this guy, um, I sit down with this guy and he, uh, we start getting talking. He goes, oh yeah, I'm from Australia. Um, and there was a place that I'd, I'd spoken to a buddy of mine about before, Early Beach. Um, yeah. So that was kind of the first one that had just kind of popped up in my mind mm. as, I was, as I was thinking of this. And he, he goes, oh yeah, I'm from, uh, from Early Beach. I was like, oh, no way. Wow, that's interesting. I'm like, what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a skipper. I drive some of the boats around there. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. Oh, wow. It's like the <laughs> universe lining you up. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, oh, really? Wow. I was just kind of thinking about that. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, friends with the owner of the company this side and what have you. You know, if you ever come around, um, let me know and maybe I can sort something out with you. Yeah. And then kind of the night just kind of progressed on from there. Um, and then the next morning I was like, and I'd gotten, I'd gotten his number from the, from the night before. And I was like, actually, you know what? I'm going to... Yeah. I'm going to give the guy a sober call now in the morning and yeah. see what, uh, see what he says. And he goes, Oh yeah, for sure, man. Come, come by. No worries. Uh, you can even stay on the couch and, uh, I'll get you sorted with, uh, Slinky was her name. Um, and she'll, uh, she'll sort you out. And I was like, her name was Slinky. Her name was, what well, is her nickname? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see that going down very well <laughs> at the church when she's been christened. Yeah. Slinky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was like, okay. Um, so I was like, ah, oh, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to go for it. At this point, sure. I didn't have any money left. And I was like, 
let's just go. That's a foot through the door. So just by happenings of sitting down next to this guy and him mentioning the place I was kind of thinking about, mm. ended up uh, ended up going there, and it was like the best uh, best possible decision ever. And that yeah. kind of introduced me to um, for the first time big big sailboats and you know powerful performance performance yachts. And what, what's this situation down in Annie Beach for those who don't know? What's it? What's um, it? So yeah, so it's the best way to describe it is kind of like a graveyard for old Whitbreads or Maxi. And where, whereabouts is it? Ah, uh, sorry. Uh, so it's like northeast Queensland yeah. area. So east east coast. Um, Right, right amongst the Great Barrier Reef there, so it's yeah. beautiful, beautiful, ocean-going uh, little community, um, nice. and yeah, it's a great, great place for just old, old boats that um, were built for uh, built for the wars, built for to take a take a beating, and um, they're kind of all just kind of retired, retired there. So it was uh, a great spot, and I got on there and actually started as a as a hostie for the first first trip just to like kind of prove that I wasn't like totally useless yeah um yeah. so <laughs> sandwiches to begin with yeah yeah um so that's how it kind of all got started and then um immediately uh, there was one boat the British Defender there which is a 85 foot uh maxi Whitbread which uh, competed in the 91 92 uh around the world race yeah um and it was beautiful beautiful boats and um I got to, to be deckhand on that pretty much pretty much straight away and I was like okay this is kind of the goal cool. here I want to yeah I want to skip this um so then that's kind of how I got into the uh the big boat sailing over there and right. I was lucky enough a lot of the guys that were skippers there on these big boats were very good sailors so I got to kind of apprentice under them and learned learned a lot um of how to how to run these boats and which is pretty rare in terms of you know, it's not easy oh. to get onto a, a big boat and be and able so to... That's one thing that Spam was set up deliberately to to try and uh, tackle, mm-hmm. is there's just, there's no way. You need to know somebody who knows somebody who's got a big boat, that yeah. otherwise there's no way of doing it. Like, even now we get, um, you know, lots of young people writing to us and you need people to come and work on board and all this kind of stuff. Um, it's uh, sometimes, we, like yourself, you know... Mm-hmm. The letters at the right time. There is an opportunity, and along you come. But um, it just shows to me there's there's no way of like getting up through the industry. There's just like this. It's not even a glass ceiling. It's just like there's no way through. No, exactly. Yeah, and it's like as I said, I've kind of almost politely stumbled through and ended up in good, <laughs> good, uh, good circumstances, and it's all kind of just worked out very nice for me. But to say to somebody you know this is the way f- to work way through the industry there's yeah. definitely no, uh, <laughs> no, no no set um set line um but uh yeah so yeah australia was kind of my first like eye-opening okay um and uh, so I'd, I'd worked my way up to to skipper the boat after after the year yeah uh, which was my which was my goal that's uh, a big that's a big says you're at eight, 80 85 foot whip by max you got like 36 foot meters of air draft it, this is a, a big boat now four meters of draft 130 feet off the off the water yeah wow, uh, wow big boat big powerful boats um and it was just uh three of the crew that would run it and then yeah. we'd take people out and do like uh, performance sales basically and rip yeah. around um and and that's the other thing there's seven seven other maxis there so it's basically just oh, wow. us ripping racing each other around the islands and uh is that still the same there now yeah still that many yep. wow and uh two of my good buddies actually out there they've opened they actually took over one of the the companies pro sale there yeah. uh so they're running the boats out there now so that's awesome. uh, so that's pretty cool um so yeah super lucky i got to be on these boats and learn under some pretty confident uh yeah confident sailors and yeah and they also had quite a decent uh like racing culture there as well so racing's on wednesdays wednesdays and sundays and that um so i got to go out a couple times and, and that mm-hmm. kind of got me into that uh that aspect of it there i've kind of done small 
um, smaller boat racing kind of throughout, just kind of yeah. intermittently, but nothing yeah. ever too too serious. Um, but I'm yeah. guessing after that experience, after being on those boats, you're like, okay, how can I use this? How can I do something? Well, exactly, yeah. So that kind of just, you know, um, wet the whistle kind of thing. So I was like, okay, I really, I really love open ocean sailing from doing all my deliveries and what have you. And I love being on these big, powerful boats and, you know, pushing them to their... Yeah to the limit and going fast and, and all of that. So it's like, okay, what do I do with all this? So I wanted to try and get into the, uh, the offshore racing side of the world, um, which again is not uh, an easy and thing that's to, that's what uh, led you to Clipper, is it? And that's what led me yeah. to, to, yeah. to Clipper. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, that was kind of one thing that I just, uh, stumbled into, uh, by, by accident as well. <laughs> stumbling. Oh man. Yeah, again, it does sound like a sailor's <laughs> story, doesn't it? It's, it's like, yeah. And then I was doing this thing, I met a guy and then the next week I was in this other place. It's well, like, that's it. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think that's a very nerve-wracking thing for some people there, the idea of just like up sticks and go somewhere else. But it's a funny industry like that. Like you, you, you really can just swing it. You can just suddenly be in another job that's paying thousands of dollars a month. And yeah, but how, how do you get into that? It's and a it's, bit it's difficult to explain. Yeah. And it's like, it's definitely for some people, not for some people. You gotta be, yeah. you gotta be comfortable being uncomfortable and, you know, being able to kind of live the nomadic life and, and, um, yeah, kind of being able to drop stuff. I, I always kind of live like two years at a time. I'll do, do something. And then normally two years is a time where I can kind of achieve whatever goal it was that I mm. set for that time. And then any, any amount of time after that, you're kind of just sitting in your, in your safe, comfortable zone. Yeah. So to keep kind of moving forward, um, normally two years and I'll go and move on to, to move on to the next. So that was kind of with, with Australia, my visa was coming to an end there. I had the two year, yeah. two year visa. So I was like, okay, what's uh, what's to come next? Um, did and, you get to travel much in Australia when you were there? Uh, I did a little bit of the East Coast, uh, pretty much between Sydney and um, Ely Beach. Uh, my folks, well, my family came out. Um, oh, nice. And so we did a, a two-week kind of tour up and down there, and uh, I'd kind of just moved uh, a few times up and down with uh, some friends throughout, but nothing nothing up north or out west or in the It's pretty amazing country. I've had the great luck to, to, to tour a lot in Australia, and it's... Uh, there's, there's no bad bit, I don't think. Well, Depends yeah. Depends if you're up for challenging environments, but if you are, yeah. there's no bad bits. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I feel bad I didn't uh, utilize that when I was when I was there. I was just, uh, was loving where I was, so it was, yeah, it was, sure. it was kind of hard no, to, to leave. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, yeah, anyways, my visa was uh, was running up there. and uh, So again, same thing, went to go fill up my uh, bank account. So I headed to... Uh, Barcelona, where I was going to do a bit of day work, uh, kind of fill my pockets and then start trying to figure out my way of getting into this offshore kind of, mm. kind of world. Um, so I got to Barcelona and then lo and behold, that kind of job fell, fell through what was, was supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, which is, which is exactly how the industry works. You think you're going to have this and it doesn't end up happening and then you, you make something else work. But, um, so I ended up going, going over there and, uh, and I never end up I never ever get jet lagged ever, um, and it just so happened. How old are you? I'm uh, 28. <laughs> I think I can see some relationship. <laughs> Let's talk again. <laughs> um, but yeah, never ever get jet lagged, and for some reason I got to uh, Palma and I was like super jet lagged. Um, so I pass out like six o'clock. It's tricky going that way. Right? Yeah, against the clock. Yeah. Um, so I passed out super early, and I was sleeping in this hostel. I, I never ever sleep in hostels. I hadn't done it in ages, and. I just remember wake up at like four in the morning and like wide awake and nothing to do. So I was like scrolling through my phone and on, on Facebook and that's, um, and on an old skipper's, uh, 
like group page that I would never ever normally go onto, and a buddy of mine just happened to mention something about uh, the Clipper and how they're accepting mates this year, and they, oh, yeah. they hadn't done that before. Yeah. Uh, so I was like, oh, okay. Uh, never really thought about that before as an yeah. option, and then uh, message my uh, message my buddy, and he sends me the, the information on uh, the application for for Clippers, and didn't think anything much of it, just that it'd be an awesome experience and. Get to sail around the world and learn as much as I can from and, and for those who don't know, it's, it's like a mainstay for us because we've both been involved in it. But uh, Clipper Ventures is a UK based company, um, spearheaded by Sir Robin Knox Johnson, the first man ever to sail solo non stop around the world. And they have a fleet of what 10, 10 boats now? Uh, it is 11, yeah, 11 boats, yeah. a new fleet, and they're 70 foot, yeah. And how many people on board boats now? Um, so it'll be between 14 and 22, yeah, okay. Yeah. So maximum 22, and then they're racing head-to-head around the world, and the crews are all trained by Clipper. They do safety training. They do everything. They yep. pay money to come on board, but then once they're on there, they are they are the crew, right? They do everything. They are the crew, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was it was cool for, for us coming in. So they had um, so 11 skippers and 11 first mates. Um, so they invited all the skippers out, and they had done the uh, job application process prior to the, to the mates. So they yeah. went and did that. Uh, they brought twenty two of them. Same thing for the mates. Twenty two were invited, and then eleven were eleven were chosen. So nice. had to basically submit in our our CVs uh, and and what we'd done and that kind of stuff. Um, and then yeah, so they picked uh, twenty two out of all the applications that went in, and then invited in two groups, uh, eleven and eleven, and then chose. Did you do like a selection thing on the boat? Or? And so exactly yeah. yeah. So we had um, basically a day of pretty much an interview more or less of, you know, what we'd been doing in past experiences. Um, and then basically running us through scenarios that would happen on board yeah. or on shore or whatever. Um, and see how we would kind of react to yeah. the situation to make sure we're the more so the person for the, for the job. Yeah. Um, cause it's very, it is a very social, um, interactive, you know, Oh sure. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, yeah, I do find that like it's, um, there's a lot of experienced sailors in the world. Uh, those that can teach is a very small number of them. Uh, People get thrust into it, but I think sailors are maybe quite a solitary breed, mm. uh, to be honest. They just want to do what they're doing. They don't really want to teach it to other folks. So yeah. it, I'm sure they need to dig through and find out they've got ones that can actually be on a boat with 21 people for... Yeah, exactly. It sounds like a month that you're doing these things. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we went through that whole process, which was about a day, day and a half. Um, and then we had three day, two days on the water. Yeah. Uh, and then they'd put us through the, the paces of... What kind of uh, thing? I remember on mine, they had like someone who got stuck up the mast and someone released a spinnaker halyard and somebody jumped off the back and there was all sorts of craziness going on. Um, yeah, so we definitely had uh, a couple men overboards that we had to run through. Yeah, um, but that'd be with a dummy, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. yeah so thought... oh, this was just like the, the end of the, the... It was 2008? No, 2000, 2009, I guess it was. So mm. it was like... The ancient history now, you know, yeah, like yeah. people actually jumped in the water, which you just wouldn't. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. He was a very special kind of guy. I can't remember, was it Simon Rawls or something? I can't, Rolson? I can't remember, he's like ex-UK army or oh, yeah, yeah. military or something. <laughs> just puts a one seventy seal and jumps over the side like, Jesus. Well, we, we had to jump over the side, but we were the, the rescuers. So yeah. The, so the, but you're connected to the boat with that. Oh, exactly. You're connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not just... No, he just jumped free into the water <laughs> yeah, separately. Yeah, yeah. Like that's an actual man overboard. Yeah. That is not how you practice man overboard. Yeah, so they ran us through um, a couple of those and see how we... And it was very much um, 
running the boat in a safe safe manner and how well we could kind of manage manage the crew. Yeah. Because you're you're so uh, with us, the captain and the first mates. It was it's kind of a work in working a team here. So get to sleep yeah. and one is up, one is, one is up, one is down, kind of thing. So you're you're running the crew when when the skipper is uh, d- down. Uh, so it's us running through man overboards and different uh, different procedures, running like jobs with the big kites up and that, and trying yeah. to get a whole bunch of people working together to you know go through it uh, smoothly. I and that I would say the day that we did it, um, there was like no wind and it was a hundred percent fog. It was like you just couldn't <laughs> yeah, barely see really. like more than a, yeah. Uh. So it was they were attempting to like make it full on stressing. It's <laughs> like the only like stress of it. I think the one we were we were practicing driving the kite by mm. driving the boat backwards with its engine ah, yeah, with the kite full and then driving like we, that. We but, did a couple of those in the training, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was the exact opposite for us. I think it was like 30 knots, 35 knots or something like that uh, when, when we went out the first day. The second day wasn't as bad. Yeah. but um, That's a real challenge. But these boats love to, to lean over as well. Uh, <laughs> I heard that, yeah. The new clipper boats, they, I've seen a lot of uh, pictures and I've talked to people, I probably must know 10, 12 crew that are on there now. And they're like, you've got like climbing ropes set up inside to try and make it safe. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, because um, yeah, they designed them to be able to go in and out of ports all over the world. So sure. different depths, they tried to make it as shallow as, uh, as possible. Yeah. Um, and I think they kind of altered the original design by chopping some of the keel off. Yeah. Um, but didn't adjust the rig height, so it's very kind of top heavy. So it really yeah. wants to to lean over, even with 12, uh, 15 going up. No, it's 12, yeah, 12 knots going up breeze, and she's pretty much on her ear. <laughs> yeah. Um, Blue boats do 12 knots in every direction. That's yeah. what, one thing I love. And having done sail training for, for so long, I've always got a lot of respect for the fact that they have to design those boats within a... Um, uh, a particular like bracket like mm. you know the ports you're going to go to mm. you know the skill level of people are going to be on board you know how many people are going to be on board for your you know your business plan and then you've got to produce something and you see some like pretty negative reviews from a lot of people on like sailing anarchy who um who have not done the race who mm. don't really know the race they're just like observing from the outside when you're in it and you're on it i think clipper pick the right level i think they've mm. got a boat that is pretty up to date it's pretty modern obviously all the gear and everything is mm. but how can you make a boat up to date and modern, which involves going faster, when you're trying to keep it slowed down for amateurs? And I think they find the balance of that. It's very tricky to do. Yeah. And like the way the boats are set up now, like you wouldn't really want them to go any faster. No, like, it's like a pressure release almost. And maybe why they did it. It's just like less less keel. It's like it just tips over and spills the wind. It just yeah. slows it down. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they for, yeah, exactly. For the conditions that we're putting these boats in and, and you know, not professional sailors, yeah. people that we've, you know, maybe haven't been super super experienced it's just maybe the training that we've done with them and this yeah. and that and you can only do so much training in the solent for you know going down in the southern ocean it's, it just doesn't yeah, it doesn't two, compute two different places. yeah yeah osborne bay and uh you know uh, the southern indian ocean yeah. are not the same place exactly yeah. and for anybody who's never been down there it's it's like it's an interesting yes. place <laughs> <laughs> well, so how, how far south did you get on your race you get down um, 40 42 so we had a i think it was 44 45, oh, wow. okay. 45 ice barrier that we weren't yeah. allowed to go. And we yeah. went 44, 5, 9. So we went yeah, as, close as, as close as we possibly could go. Yeah. Um, and we had yeah 50 foot, easy 50 foot breaking waves, proper breaking waves yeah. with three different swell directions. But sailors always say that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh, it was 50 yeah. high. So it was a big wave with a bit of breaking yeah. on the top. Yeah, good. But, uh, but yeah, these things, like there's not a lot of times where I've been... Uh, 
nervous nervous at sea and this was uh yeah. this was one of those times and yeah it was 60 60 knots 60 65 sustained breeze for like three straight days yeah, and gusting up to 80s yeah um yeah pretty pretty intense we put the whole boat we went down so we were having to basically skirt across the waves yeah. as they went to break turn the nose into them punch through and then go yeah. along because they were just getting too big and even if you tried to run down the wave even slightly the boat would just take off in a very very unsafe speed that you couldn't even yeah and it would just plow straight into a side swell direction and we went down one and we were doing probably about 30 knots and just as we were heading down the face of this wave into the trough uh, additional swell came broke pretty much right on about the same time pretty much from the oh, beam wow. Uh, and the whole boat just uh, just disappeared completely under yeah, yeah. <laughs> underwater. It's um, certainly something like you learn to reef and what have you in the Solent or wherever you you know in early beach or whatever, mm-hmm. and you learn to reef like oh the boat's heeling over and the, the numbers say reef and then now she feels a little bit lighter. Yeah. There's a different kind of reefing which is in the Southern Ocean. Oh yeah, it's just like leverage at the top of the rig. Everything's you know driving ahead of the breeze. The top of the rig is levering the bow down into the next wave, and it's just like oh, we're yeah. gonna have some slightly different rules here. Like, oh, this yeah. is very scary. Yeah, we had uh, three three reefs in the in the storm jib up, and that was yeah. and that's it, and that was and I was yeah surfing at thirty. I think we had thirty two knots. I think was our good fit. lord, really. Yeah. So yeah, they get. See, to, those uh, boats do seem to be hitting. I remember on the Clipper race that I did with the sixty eight, the older evolution. I think we got like a twenty eight, but it was mm-hmm. basically falling. It's just the the paddle wheel just like in the air as you breeze yeah. underneath the boat. <laughs> They, but like, what sort of speeds can you get out of them? Like, as a we are going at this speed, not just surfs. What kind of numbers are you sitting on? Um, so we so leaving from Cape Town to Fremantle, I think we averaged um, from for the whole journey. I think it was like 11.5, So that was from start to start to finish. So pretty good average speed wow, for for these great. boats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, yeah so we were doing pretty damn good speeds uh when we were when we were far south um continuously good speeds obviously the flux in the in the run of the wave and then hit the trough and slowing down but um depending on the swell state still on 12 14 then uh yeah i would say roughly around there it was pretty you were doing pretty pretty uh pretty good with that and then normal service up to 2021 yeah exactly and depending on the swell like you could depending on who was on the helm like you could probably link up three three or so waves four waves together and get the boat running for for a good amount of time without stalling in the uh, stalling in the troughs, um, but yeah, they're very uh, in some some swells they're they're tough to keep uh, keep in the wake. It's kind of just yeah, because they're they're on about thirty three tons, right? So yeah. maybe a little bit more with the, with the people and everything on board. So yeah. they're they're that's a lot of work for that rig to be doing. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's, that's just the combo, and that's the thing I find with with Spahn. People come on board and they've had like kind of aspirations for years to go on these boats, which is awesome. And mm. they, they choose to come with us and sail, and then obviously sometimes like reality does come calling, and they get this like real sudden wake up to like how difficult this is. And even though you're providing a somewhat watered down version mm. of it, um, you just realize like maybe just watch a couple too many Marvel films here, like, you can't actually do that. Like, that's not possible. Well, exactly. You can't drive this boat at that speed. You can't grind that winch in the way that it's meant to be done. And then I think they get a view then of, like, what the professional sailor is. But mm. the, the full professional racing sailor is a very rare breed these days. Like, yeah. there's uh, there's not... Offshore, certainly. Mm. There's not many doing that. But yeah, exactly. And Around the world, races seem to be on the decline. Like, we, we're just... You and I are both excited. Actually, have you checked your um, Vendee Globe... Uh, 
Don't look at it now. It's very, <laughs> we're doing serious work. I don't know where my phone is. We're doing. So, what position were you in in the Vendée Globe virtual regatta when we I last was, looked? I, I, I touched at a thousand. Thousands thirteenth, I think, was uh, one thousand and thirteen. That was my my. And the six hundred and sixty thousand. That's just showing off, man. Right. I'm I'm three hundred thirty thousandth, but I am bow forward on the fleet going west. Well. Yep. Watch this shift's gonna come. I've literally sat along. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to work out now because um, the my my little character in it is called Nova Scotia nine oh two. So you know someone's gonna have to be pretty dim to realise it's me. <laughs> not not realise it's me. Um, but I'm like wondering, like, I want to do this West around the world thing. It's like, mm. shall I take it and then go West around the world with it? Or is that like a real knob? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe just start another, uh, like another account or something. But, um, it's pretty cool. Hey, that interaction so far, that's, that kind of thing is what sailing needs. Like it's the, I think the nineties was a great time. You could basically go to any uh, company and go, Hey, I've got a boat. I'm going to do this race. And they'd be like, take money, just go down to the finances and take money. Yeah. Now it's way more difficult. I know that you've read that, um, getting on the plane, that, that, uh, um, discourse on sponsorship and sailing. And, um, that's a little bit older now, but I think it's pretty fair representation of the case now. Like you have to be a social media ambassador. You have to be a bit of an influencer. You have to be able to talk. You have to be able to putting the name of the company on sales is like almost nothing. Right. So it's, yeah. It's a whole other, that's a whole other skill set and not to keep connecting with it, but, but Spartan, uh, uh, Clipper is very good at that, right? Because they also teach you about the media side of it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And that was um, big exposure. Like I've never done any interviews really for anything prior so to that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like photo shoots and, and interviews and yeah. sending out blogs on, on a daily blog kind of thing. And yeah. It, it does set you up for exactly the media side of the, the industry, uh, the racing and uh, which is sponsorship a, side of things, yeah. which is once you start starting to run your own racing campaign, you realize how much. And that's you know. it. I think you're going in, like if you've got like the dream, the, the dream interview, it'd be like with the uh, the advertising department, maybe you're going to see someone like the, I know, international, the head of international marketing for a company, like brilliant. You get in the door, you're a sailor. As soon as you go in that room, you have no idea what the uh, language is that they're speaking and you have no idea what their goals are because you know about sailing and you know about knots and you know about epoxy and you really have to educate yourself so you can get into that room and then give them the buzzwords, give them the keywords, give them the information they're going to want to hear. Like what is your social media footprint? How many blogs are you going to, what's the, the undiscounted media value of the column inches that you're going to be able to get? Like if you can't answer those questions... You, you're like a fly buzzing up against the window. It's just not going to happen. But uh, yeah, I, I hope that um, this contraction of the world of sailing is, uh, is maybe this is the worst it's going to get because we've lost the Barcelona World Race. We've lost the Velux Five Oceans Race. Uh, the Challenge Race obviously was gone by 2000. Um, Volvo it became the Ocean Race is now on an knife edge. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Of course, we hope it's going to happen. Um, but if not, it's basically it's the Clipper Race and the Vendée. And that's it. Yeah. It's, uh, well, apart from, apart from something else you've got, which was, uh, I just dropped my son. Wait, just to tell you, we are sitting literally in the sunroom here in Nova Scotia. It is, what's the date today? It's like the 9th or 10th? 10th today, yeah. 10th, 10th today. of November. And it's like 18 degrees Celsius outside, which is uh, very nice Fahrenheit. Mm. And um, the autumn leaves are out. And yet we're in the sunroom. Like we've got the windows and doors open because it's that blooming warm. We've got shorts and... Sunglasses on. So if you hear noises, it's me dropping my sunglasses. But 
but that's that's the thing that you're doing now. So uh, you you came over and you've been assisting me with the pride of Nova Scotia and doing the rigging and stuff on deck. But it was an opportunity to kind of touch base and get to know each other because you've gone. Tell us about this this thing you can do the Globe Forty race. Uh, yeah, so yeah, so the Globe 40 is uh, the campaign uh, that I'm trying to put together at the moment, uh, which is... Uh, well, more than try from what I've Well, hearing. okay, yeah. <laughs> You're doing very well. Yeah, yeah, so, we're, so we've been working on it for a year, year and a half, and as you said, it's not a easy feat uh, of trying to, yeah, exactly, get to, get your proposal together and reaching out to these sponsors and, you know, trying to convince these million-dollar companies that... Um, you know, you're the brand that uh, should yeah. be presented, and you know we can do this for your for your company or that. And who's, um, who's we in this? Uh, so yeah, so I've got a partner, Dan Jones, uh, from the UK. Yeah. Uh, so he was also a first mate on the on the Clipper race. Yeah. Uh, so pretty much, actually, as the race kind of got started, um, my first thought was, you know, once this race is done, the worst possible thing is you know not to have something you know ready uh, in the holster, ready to go. You do, yeah, you definitely have. It's 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 great to kind of like find your way through and what we're talking about, like take these serendipitous things. But mm. if you're trying to get somewhere, you've got to like direct it a little bit. Yeah, and use the momentum you've got. So that was yeah. that was from day one. My kind of mentality is okay. This is great now, but this is going to be over in uh, in a year and a half's time, and yeah. I want to be able to progress on with uh, having having this and all the momentum that we had. So. Yeah, so this Globe 40 race had just kind of been announced as a Class 40 double-handed race that was uh, going around. So it's going to be June 21st, 2021. Uh, it's going to be the start date. Now, Class 40s, what, what kind of boat is that? So Class 40s is basically a, a class that's kind of been built and designed around the concept of, you know, having a boat that is fast, kind of, but affordable. So it's yeah. it's kind of reaching out that olive branch to trying to allow a, a passenger into the offshore um, racing um, as we were talking about it's not the not the easiest thing and it's yeah. mainly that reason or one of the reasons is because you know it is an expensive sport to be to be involved in um, I think that's the problem with saying is it's got this um, it's got this uh, uh, ex- externally it's got this kind of um, characteristic that it's like rich man's sport mm. and yet when you're in it you realise it's all duct tape and zip ties <laughs> and like uh, yeah. Hail Marys and like hope to God it sticks together oh, but the fundamentally unfortunately that piece of equipment like doing drag racing so like that piece of equipment costs but this was an opportunity to push that down there was wasn't there not open 40s like way back when they were like canting keel carbon but it was just ridiculous you were putting so much money into such a small thing so then they simplified it out to the Class 40 and that's what like fixed keel fixed and- keel yeah there's no uh, carbon below uh uh, below the deck so everything is uh yeah built to be relatively cheap and then also easy to or cheap to fix um and yeah just basically trying to keep the cost down so allowing that kind of entry level into the offshore racing so and you fiberglass could, hull and fiberglass hull yeah yeah right yeah. so that that really helps a lot right? yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah um so yeah so this is the and one of the one of the skippers that was doing the race, uh, he was big into the class forty scene uh, prior to him coming to the to the Clipper. Yeah. And we were talking to him, and he goes, "This is the perfect uh, perfect class for you guys, using you know your connections and your momentum from the Clipper race, and and putting yeah. putting those resources into." Because you can charter a boat, right? You don't have to buy one; you can charter it. You can yeah. charter, yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so we're kind of looking at either purchasing or chartering at the moment. Um, We've kind of got a plan of a two-year two-year campaign. So doing the Globe Forty, which yeah. is uh, from start to finish, it's going to be around nine nine months with uh, nine different countries, uh, eight stopovers, 
It's got a very um, interesting route from what you were telling me the other it day. It does, yeah. And it's it's loosely based on uh, Bernard Mortissier's uh, The Long Ray Round, uh, The Long Route. Um, wow. so, well, you have to go one and a half times around. Oh, well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know, that's what I was, that's what I was expecting when they, when they first... To see it yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's not the traditional uh, lap of the globe, stopping in Cape Town in Australia and, yeah. and that. Um, so, it's, uh, so its first stop is going to be in uh, Tenerife. And starting from Europe. And sorry, yeah, so and, and Tangier is going to be the first, so it's actually going to be the first ever round the world race leaving from an African country, so Tangier, awesome. so Morocco is where okay. it's, it's going to be leaving from. Yeah. Uh, and then first uh, first legs short to Tenerife, from there it's down around to Mauritius. Uh, Where's Mauritius? Is so that's the east coast, northeast of South Africa there. Okay, so you're just going around the, the Cape of Good Cape Hope, of Good Hope. up slightly, and it's the island there. Exactly, okay, gotcha. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so I think they put that projected date at 32 <laughs> days at sea for that lake. Um, from Tangier? Uh, from Tenerife. Wow, okay, which 32 is, days. Hmm, yeah. That's cooking. Yeah, that yeah. is cooking. I think they averaged it out at like 10.1 or something, 10.2 average speed. Yeah. So it's, so <laughs> Don't it's, turn left into the Centralina right too early. Exactly. It'll be 41 yeah. days. It'll yeah. be, yeah, if they're lucky, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and then, then from Mauritius? So then from Mauritius, it is down to um, Auckland. Sure. Okay, that's um, Yeah, that's a great spot. And I guess you do a haul out there and stuff and check them out. That's a great town to be doing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then... Um, oh, sorry. Uh, sorry, I skipped one. Uh, sorry. Uh, Mauritius, then uh, Pepete. In, oh, wow. Uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Um, so and, this is what I keep calling Papites when I look at it. Papite, is I it? might have said it wrong as well. No, no, I don't, I don't. and we don't have anybody to fact check. Jamie, it, so yeah. <laughs> Jamie, what's uh, oh, he says it's pa- I don't know, but P A P W E T Papite. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. It's yeah. still French. But that, that we're talking about super remote. Yeah. Places. This is going to be not like a big race village and. Uh, well, exactly. Yeah, it's gorgeous, beautiful white sand beaches. And this sounds awful, man. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of selling it uh, a little bit more of a kind of an adventure style as, okay, as well. Yeah, and, I was and, say. And, um, yeah, exactly. Same thing, kind of trying to shake the mold a little bit in different that's aspects. That's the question I find like with the, the, the French media is, is really good uh, at, at selling the, the human endeavor of it and the fact that there is. Um, um, human personalities involved, human limitations which are being pushed and they're great at kind of selling. You do it for the for the love of the ocean, for the love of adventure and that's enough. And that's it has been a culture in France since the beginning of the Vendée Globe, since the, the Golden Globe. Um, we didn't have that in England. We don't have that in North America. In the UK and in North America, it's just, did you win? Yeah. If you didn't win, not interested. And they have all these things like if you're not winning, you're last or if you're not, if you're not first, you're, you're not last. First, you're last. Yeah. bronze, silver, <laughs> gold and leather or something like that there's this this prestige in like cutting people off for not winning and it's like it's a super short-term attitude it just robs it of all spectator interest it robs it any other position in the fleet of any value whatsoever and it, as i would say it eats it from the inside out because the only story in this is the human story who yeah. actually gives a shit if you win a round the world yacht race like really you know it's not like you win it and then five fairies come back to life it's it's just you okay you go around the world but the stories that come out of it can be hugely inspiring and mm. can be good but it is then incumbent on sailors to tell that story and for that to be a, an acceptable thing coming out of it that these people are out there doing this thing which is far beyond what many other people are experiencing on their day-to-day life so it's great that this race has that 
adventure element like baked into it. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I think that's kind of the the route that they're looking at it. And that's, well, I guess with every sport is trying to make it as media friendly and, you know, have as much of a following as you possibly can. So this yeah. is kind of maybe moving away slightly from traditional routes and that and, and that pulling in different different crowds. Well, it hasn't worked. Clearly where we're up to now. Like the Volvo race, I think they started to water everything down when they did things like, um, they stopped going to Qingdao because the boats, the 70s couldn't take it. So they just like cut that bit out. Yeah. And then they were doing that bit because of the pirates where they were going up to the Middle East and they were like, go on a ship at a secret place and got off a ship at a secret yeah. place. Yeah. Like, <laughs> What the hell? This is not easy to understand anymore. Yeah, Bondi exactly. Globe is like, it's a person and a boat and they're going to go all the way around the world without stopping. It's super easy to understand. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Is he, um, the, now, uh, one thing that just occurred to me, uh, how is Dan's boat doing in the Clipper race? Where, what, where was he at? Because, you know, he's, um, he's the other half of your team here, man. He, he is the other half of the team. He, he was not as doing as well. Uh. He's not as doing, <laughs> he's not as doing well. You hear it here, <laughs> heard it here first. So, um. <laughs> Yeah, what's so, his what's his skill set? Is he's a, a meteorology guy like you, or what's he? Um, so he's he's he the um, looks in his team, or he's he's definitely the looks in the team. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, Dan's uh, Dan's great with his his hands. Um, um, so massage. That's his massage skills. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he's a practical guy. Yeah, super yeah. practical guy. Uh, great sailor um, and uh, super hardworking. Um, and yeah, he's great great with his hands. So super. Super tactical and fixing stuff, so that's that's, that's really important. Super, I think we were discussing important. that a little yeah. while back. Is that the the three things I always think that make you fast is you've got to be on the right part of the water. Yeah. Which in our Vendée Globe uh, virtual regatta, it seems to be two different places <laughs> yeah. in the Bay of Biscay, are the right place because you're in a very different place than I am right now. You're at like Cap Finisterre, right? Yeah. Just off the beach, or exactly. Yep. And I'm like way off in the middle of the Atlantic. So, but um, but if you can get the boat in the right part of the ocean, brilliant. If you can drive the boat fast, do the evolutions cleanly, brilliant. But then if you can fix it, and it's yeah. Dan's got that skill set, and you practical as well, mm. right? You've been doing all this stuff, but that seems to get forgotten about really quick. Well, exactly. Sailing, sailing the boat fast is just a, a portion of the of these races, and you got to yeah. have a solid uh, background and understanding in, in all of it to yeah do do well and well even just like you said just finish the race because yeah. that's uh, where a lot of a lot of teams fall apart. Is not that's the weird thing about sailing is that if you're a NASCAR driver, I think a lot of them have technical skills, but really all they have to do is drive and be able to communicate what the driving experience is to the mechanics. Yeah. But on a race boat, you're like in behind the computers doing things, and you're doing rigging, and you're fixing epoxy, and you you have to do all of it. You like have to be the pit team well, and the it. administrator and the and the driver. Nobody's nobody's there to hold your hand. It's either yeah. uh, it's either you throw in the towel or you you make it work. And that's yeah. and that's what that's one thing that I love about it more than anything is you know, are you are you good enough to 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 make it happen? And yeah. sure, you know you might have a little bit of support from uh, your support team and over email depending on you know, what race it is oh, that sure, you're doing. Sure. Yeah, um, yeah. But at the end of the day, it's you know you gotta you gotta you gotta make it happen. Absolutely. Um, water watermaker stuff's working, you know. Okay, here we go. Oh, don't tell me. <laughs> don't talk to me about watermaker stuff. Right <laughs> wow, and that's and that's it. Like so I've many... had that two weeks having brackish water or stop racing. It's like well, brackish water. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, rigging up uh, some rain catching device so you can yeah. you can make it work or didn't or... rain once. <laughs> exactly. And that's, and that's Murphy's law. Exactly. I was yeah. trying to make like solar stills and leave big condensers and all sorts of stuff. But yeah. Was, uh... But that's fun. That's the challenge. That's, that's... that little meerkat inside you. You go. Oh, here we go. That's it. Exactly. Yeah, and you almost get a little bit excited. It's like oh, oh I do. Like shit. once it's happened, like however big the damage is, whatever it is, as long as no one's hurt, that's what yeah. 
obviously completely different. But if it's just a thing that needs fixing, yeah, I get excited about that. Yeah. I, w- I want to try and pit myself. And I, I like people think I've like lost the plot and don't know what to do. I'm literally just standing there like trying to work out the inventory of everything we've got and where bits are on the boat and how things will come together and then, then you plug into yeah. action. Yeah. And I love that. That's such yeah, a such too. a fun part of it is troubleshooting sure. and, and just, you know, yeah. Trying to make make it happen no matter no matter how and difficult then the call goes it is. Duct tape. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Skip the duct tape. <laughs> cool. So the uh, so sponsorship as we know is is a very tricky thing to find. What about with COVID and that is uh yeah and so so one thing yeah so we were on the on the clipper race and we'd been talking to some people and connections that we'd made um and we theoretically had had a pretty solid you know handshake agreement with some people and potentially you know we had a good portion of our budget awesome. ready to go awesome. and then uh and then one day you know snap of the fingers the clipper race is postponed for a year yeah and... talk about that so that was that must have been really weird so when did you start getting a, an idea because you were at sea through christmas through new year you're doing your race around the world yeah and then suddenly you start to get news on board the boats that there's this thing wow and that's it and like it's such a bubble that you kind of live in when you're out at yeah. sea um, sure. all that you care about is, you know, your, your, your angles or, you know, yeah. fixing this or, or what have you. And then when you get to shore, it's like, okay, three days at the bar and then a day of sleep and then <laughs> fixing stuff and then going again. That's my, that's my routine anyways. Um, and then your, all your interactions are more or less with everybody that you've just, you know, raced this portion of the ocean with and you know you're sharing your stories of this and that what have you and then outside influences are you know not necessarily as transparent as to somebody who's been you know not living in a you know tin can floating around for for the last few months yeah uh so we never didn't have like a full appreciation for what was kind of going on right um uh yeah all that mattered was kind of the race and then we were on our way from early beach to to China oh, beach again. So that must have been fun. Yeah. So yeah, one of the stops was, uh, my, my old hometown oh, there. Wow. Okay, so that great. was super cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, had a nice welcome coming in there. So that was sure, super, nice. super cool for, for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so leaving the beach to, to China and then they actually turned us as we were coming through the Lorenzo the Lorenzo Strait. I always say that wrong. Lorenzo, Lorenzo Strait. Lorenzo? It doesn't matter. Um, I know. No, it's going to be They basically sent us an email saying, um, you know, this is all kicking off in, in China now. Um, they convert you to the Philippines. Mm. And we're like, oh, okay, cool. So we dip into dip into the Philippines and same, you know, everything's kind of as, as you were. And mm. then we get meet with, uh, meet with uh, the thermometer gun. So everybody's taking our temperature. Oh, really? We're like, yeah. oh, okay, this is a... Although I thought you guys would be pretty... Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we were probably the safest place in the world uh, in terms of, mm. um, in terms of that. Um, but yeah, and then that was kind of a big, oh, okay, this is a... Yeah, this is not just talk. This is real, a real thing now. Whenever I get off of a long voyage, I always think like, I wonder if the Queen's dead. I wonder well, if yeah. vampires have been discovered. <laughs> aliens have landed, and it's like, no, it's just pretty much the same. Yeah. This was actually one occasion where it's like, there's a pandemic. There's an actual global pandemic going yeah. around. Um, so then, it was kind of okay. So this is kind of happening now. So the main thing was okay. We're probably not going to go to China, but I think we'll just probably go straight to Seattle, which was the next, uh, sure. the next stop. Uh, and then there was kind of talks of, oh, you know, there needs to be so many races, so so many points can be allotted um, throughout the race to make it fair, this, that, what have you. Okay, so we did a short 
race around uh, the Japanese islands and back to Subic Bay where we'd actually left from. So the Amami Islands. Uh, yes. The most southern islands. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful. Uh, so that was uh, seven days, I think it was. Sure, sure. Um, so that was kind of a, t- a time for the logistics team to figure out exactly what yeah. was, was going on and to try and keep the, the format of the race still going um, as it was. So then we did that. Okay, cool. Come back. Uh, and then nothing had really changed. There was a few advancements with, oh yeah, okay, China's really you know shut down and nothing's going on here. And then the rest of the world was kind of starting to fall apart in the same respect. Uh, so I was like, okay. Uh, so then they made us do another tiny little race uh, out basically right off of the Civic Bay. It was only three three days, uh, three imaginary uh, virtual marks that we ran around and then yeah. came back. And you got to be careful racing around that, hey, because you have those the fish traps. You have those big tin cans that the, uh, oh, yeah. the fishermen, I know that area pretty well from them in Hong Kong. The fishermen's associations will put down a, a mooring in like 1,200 meters of water. Yep. And then the little boats will come to well, the line. Not even that. Yeah, I it's driving the... over, I, I wasn't the captain, but I was on a boat. We, we, uh, we, we drove over this guy in some very simple boat and he was saved and brought on board. Mm. It wasn't particularly an issue. But he was very agitated and said, couldn't you see my light? Yeah. And like, do we didn't see any lights. He's like, I was waving my cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> Like, wow, that's a, yeah, well, we that's a, that. very accurate, yeah. Yeah, but it's that kind of thing, right? So mm. it's, uh, and yeah, when we were coming down the the coast, coming into Civic Bay, it was it was very very light. Um, oh but yeah, we had, yeah. but we had our we had our kite up, um, which is a huge, um, and at night as well. So like a lot of our views cut off, and all you see is like what looks like a million lights, kind of just dotted all yeah. around you, and you're sailing through, and it's just these tiny little fisher fisherman boats, yeah. And yeah, all you can do is put your steaming light on. That's and light it. Yourself exactly. Up and then work on the base. They'll get anyway. Exactly. Yeah. So it was uh, yeah, a bit uh, a bit interesting. We weren't going through at breakneck speeds or anything like no, that. But no. um, yeah, pretty crazy sight to see. Just oh yeah, for sure. It's boat after boat after boat after boat, and just kind of weaving in and out through them um, was yeah. uh, pretty uh, surreal. Um, but yeah, so just a three three day little race rip around there. And then the day that we left, we got an email saying that uh, the global pandemic had been announced. And then immediately my first thought was, oh, wow, they're going to cancel the race, Um, which wasn't actually everybody's first kind of thought. And that's a huge deal for Clipper to do that because it's hundreds of people and all their lives. Exactly. And a lot of these people put a lot of time and money and effort into doing this. And then, um, yeah, yeah, just... uh, just cut uh, cut the cord just like that. So that was a bit of a a bit of a shock to everybody's systems for sure. Um, so, but Clipper like have postponed it. So yeah, they postponed yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I think it is going to be around August now that they awesome. are going to be restarting. Awesome. So uh, so picking up from Subic Bay. So you thought, aha, uh-huh, I shall do what I did in the bar in Thailand. I shall see if there's an opportunity waiting for me. So that's where this class. 40 things suddenly rose to the surface of your ideas. Well, exactly, yeah. And, and the plan was always to do it after we'd finished the, the Clipper race. Um, but it was like, okay, um, so this is now postponed for a while. Let's uh, let's try and get yeah. traction with, with this now and see yeah. see where this takes us and let the timelines kind of work themselves out as we as we move through. Sure. Um, but yeah, so basically went into kind of full steam, you know, trying to get sponsorship and find the boat and... Well, cross all the I's and uh, dot T's of uh, what uh, what no, needed to I, happen. I wouldn't cross the I's and dot T's, but like, I see what you're <laughs> That's my spoken like a true That's, that's my. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's 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 a bit it's a big one to uh, to get involved in. I, what, have you got a particular thing that you 
like a particular charity or a particular we, we I know we've spoken while you've been here because you've been looking for Nova Scotia about doing something for a Canadian organization or a Canadian but at the at the moment you've got a, a big group of sponsors, a big group of money coming together. Um, are they driving you in a particular branding direction or have you got an option to have it for a cause or um, well yeah so the idea was always to try and um, to sell for a cause uh, if we can I think one thing that we really gravitated to was um, that's going to tie in nicely with the, the Canadian aspect of the thing but uh, like a youth sailing kind of movement Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah. and the idea of every kind of stopover that we go to inviting the, uh, youth on the boat and taking them out sailing sure. on a and those well, communities you're going to, wow, it's good. They're not seeing anything like that. Well, exactly, so, yeah. yeah. Um, but then, yeah, to, to tie it home, like the big, for me personally anyways, is to try and, as we've kind of talked about here throughout the yeah. whole thing, is is kind of bringing to light this super cool sport that uh, I think ties in very nicely with, you know, attributes and skill sets and everything that people admire in, in sports in, in Canada, but it's just for not, sure. it's just not really gets, it doesn't really get the light. Um, and the Atlantic Canadian regions where we are now, obviously it's quite away from where you're based in Ontario, but you know, this is a, a birthplace for a lot of this sailing on a worldwide thing mm. between here and the American Northeast. This is where like, this was huge. A mm. uh, hundred years ago, it was huge fishing grounds. It was the, the, the wooden ships and iron men was here. It, this is what it was all about. And it's all just kind of died out a little bit. Yeah. Charlie, <laughs> no, you gotta go out, mate. <laughs> you are too vocal for this gig. Come on, go and find some food. All right, let's. Uh, we're getting towards the end. Not that mm. we need to rush towards it, but it's um. What should we finish up on, like? Is there, is there anything that you can do which is directing people towards a particular GoFundMe or something like that? Or uh, Yeah, I can steer them towards our our website and where the GoFundMe will be. In, yeah. in the, and it's going to be called Loose Fish Racing? It's called Loose Fish Racing, yeah. So it'll be, go, it'll be GoFundMe.com forward slash Loose Fish Racing. Well, I think we're going to have... So we've got a website set up that's kind of about the team and the boat and all of that. And uh, right. the link for the... The GoFundMe will be on the on the page there. Okay, correct. Yeah. And will that be active soon, you think, or? It should hopefully be in By the Friday? next in the next week if Dan will ever message me. Yeah, back. he's a bit uh, yeah. yeah. But we'll we'll get people to circle back round and yeah. yeah. If you've got any big announcements they can be on the I'll put them on here as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, so getting back to it. So um so yeah, so um, when's the starting point for this uh this race? When uh, when does it all happen? Um, so the first uh, prologue race is going to be from La Rochelle, which is going to be June twelfth. Mm, okay. Uh, and then the actual kickoff is uh, June twenty first, twenty twenty one. Nice. Okay. Yeah. And I think that by then, I, I you know, there's some chit chat now that uh, they may even be able to get a vaccine variation out by the end of the year. I think certainly by then, everyone's going to be settled into how they deal with this. Um, yeah. The the world may have started to come back online a little bit by then but it's uh, obviously people don't need to Hopefully. come with you they'll be able to look at your website i know you're getting that in in production at the moment what's the give me the name for the website yeah yeah so our website is uh looseFishRacing.com. Yeah. um so yeah you can go on there and check out a little bit of a bio of uh, myself and dan uh, a little bit about the race as well just to show in more detail uh kind of the values and the stops of uh, the race yeah uh, a little bit about the boat uh, yeah pretty much everything you need to know about uh, kind of what we're doing sure. uh, and then also we'll have a link on there for our uh, GoFundMe page so uh, sure. so obviously 
we haven't uh, got our full budget uh, that's going to help us to uh, compete and get this uh, fully undergo. So uh, any help in, in that matter is uh, going to be uh, sure. definitely But helpful. they're going to be giving all their money to me, so don't, don't well, ask them for that. It's uh, certainly a little bit to really help pay in this kind of thing. And so uh, I know from the stuff that I've been doing, we're about 10% into our GoFundMe target at the moment, and uh, that makes such a difference. So it's... Uh, yeah, if you want to support you, so uh, loosefish.com. Loosefish Racing, yep. Yeah, Loosefish Racing. Yep. So Loosefish fish Racing, <laughs> put my teeth back in, loosefishracing.com, and then they'll get the, the GoFundMe link. Yeah, and the link will be there for that. And uh, yeah, so we're basically just trying to uh, get some money for the, the entrance fee. Uh, right. And, um, and yeah, and that's basically what... And the uh, entrance fee on this one, you told me, you already put like a reserve down on it. It's, a, it's a quite a reasonable amount, isn't it? Yeah, 15,000 euro is uh, the entrance fee. So. Um, so yes, that's kind of our that's doable. our goal that we're you know asking and reaching out for some some help with. Yeah, um, yeah. And I uh, think people always go, well, "What am I going to get out of it?" It's like you're going to be doing blogs from the boat. Yeah, exactly. Sending yeah. out videos when you get in or via your SAT system, um, and telling the story of what it is to, to push yourselves in this way and share. I imagine the communities you're going to go and visit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to try and uh, well, we're not going to try. We are going to have a. YouTube channel up uh, and you know the whole social media the normal stuff the Instagram and and the Facebook and that yeah. of, of the loose fish uh, and really want to as we talked about here sell the kind of experience as not like the you know salmon pants in the yacht club style you know salmon pants <laughs> Sam, yes yeah, salmon pants salmon pants if you sail across the Atlantic if you don't know this you can wear salmon pants as sailor so yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that's a thing if you want salmon pants that's your excuse but yeah, I think this is more real world thing. Yeah, people, exactly. You, know, we're, you and I watching, uh, I'd say that uh, Ryan has actually been, how long have you been in now? Like three weeks? Uh, three weeks now, yep. Feels more than that, right? I think it's like four weeks. It this a week is fourth week. Uh, it'll be, yeah, probably end of this week will be four yeah, weeks. So yeah. it's uh, the, uh, not that I'm saying it's hard having you here, I might add, but it's, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, it's, we've been watching The Boys, right? On, uh, <laughs> yeah. what do we watch first? The Expanse. The Expanse, yeah. Man, we burnt through that hard. <laughs> and then, but, you know, what is it like paying a couple bucks a month to be able to sit down and just rot my life away for hours <laughs> watching that? Give a couple bucks to Loose Fish Racing and uh, watch real people doing real things in a real place. Like, make that part of your day. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Awesome. Okay. Well, it's uh, we're getting towards uh, the evening here in uh, in Nova Scotia. It's been fantastic talking to you and hearing all about your your life. I wish Likewise. you the best of luck with your uh, endeavors to get out on the water. Sailing, I think, is is on can be on its ascendancy now with the the new satellite communications we've got and the opportunity to connect through media. We can invite people for the first time into this space and, and share with people mm-hmm. what it is and uh, and point out it's not just like a rich boys racing club, right? Because judging by you and me sitting here in shorts and t-shirts. <laughs> Neither of us is rich. We're doing this thing because we want to be like rich in experience, rich in, uh, in, 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 you know, getting around about in the world and experiencing it all. Yeah, exactly. And exactly like we said, trying to, trying to bring it home to, to Canada and hopefully, yeah, uh, for sure, hopefully getting some Canadian teams on the, you know, highest level. Well, judging from and, the, uh, judging from the Vendee Globe, uh, thing, and then you show me that button where I can see how many other people from my country. Are. There's like a lot of Canadian people playing, the Vonley Globe uh, regatta thing right now. Yeah. If they all gave you a buck each, we could probably yes. buy dinner. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Thanks very much. Cool. Thanks, man. Cheers. Well, there we go. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, very interesting talking to Ryan, finding out about all his future plans. And to repeat, his website is www.loosefish.com. 
racing.com, L-O-O-S-E, Loose Fish Racing. And if you want to help him towards his goal and Dan's goal of doing this round the world race on behalf of Canada, drop them a few bucks. And reminder that uh, Patreon for me, uh, Patreon forward slash The Mariner. You can get the blog, you can get the podcast, you can get the YouTube videos, and you can get the seamanship videos which we're doing, which are exclusive to Patreon. Um, just getting back into doing those now and uh, brush up on your skills and learn new things and find out what's going on in our sailing community while we can't go out in the water. Hopefully things are looking a lot better for 2021. We're just about to get into gear and start selling events with Spartan Ocean Racing. If you want to check that out, go to www.spartanoceanracing.com. But until next time, I want to wish you wherever you are the best of luck with your sailing, whatever it might be. And I hope that you are safe and sound and keeping those around you safe during these weird times. Cheers.